Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Happy Thursday at 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Good morning, Michelle. Just as I said, 7 o'clock, it flipped over to 701. So if you're driving in your car, you flipped over to 701. It's cool. It is. It's 701 in St. Louis. Brandy, we have hump day on Wednesday. On Friday, it's TGIF. Thursday's a great day, and it kind of gets the short end of the stick if we're talking back end of the weekdays. Thursday's kind of an early Friday. It really is. People, Thursday's a big night out. Oh, yeah. People kind of get lazy on Thursday. With their, there's no problem that, with that. It's just, you know, we get incrementally lazier. Monday, we really work hard, and then Tuesday, eh. And then Wednesday is hump day. Yeah, that's right. And then Thursday, we're looking forward to Friday, and then that's Friday, right. we're just, we're out there. Fridays are always loose. Yeah, so we, <laughs> we have to think of something to call Thursday, which is essentially Friday now. Exactly. 2022. Why not? Just make it Friday. There's countries all over the world that are making it a four-day work week. Thursday could be Friday at some point in our lifetime. That's a good idea, Michelle. Wouldn't that be awesome, a four-day work week? I think so, yeah. There are people in our business. Stephen Colbert uh, only works. Uh, does Fallon? I think Fallon only might work a four-day work week. I think Charlie Brennan did. The Mighty Mox might only work a four-day work week. They got to figure. So it's closer out. to home. Apples to apples. We got to go to management. <laughs> we got to figure this out because, well, right now as it states, a, a five-day work week, we need a name for Thursday. It yeah. deserves a name. Yeah. So six five seven eight zero. That's the Air Comfort Service text line, and we'd love to have a name for Thursday so that we can bring the machine in and start off our Thursday with something that's fun and light and airy and something that allows us to all just have a great time to set the tone because guess what yeah. we're going to talk about the blues having covid we're talking about baseball having a conversation today that could stress us all out we need at least a name for the day that's going to pick us up great thought great <laughs> thought michelle this is a, a strange year in seattle what are they addicted to there in seattle what are they addicted to yeah hockey and kraken they're addicted to cracking in Seattle. Randy, I was like, what am I missing? <laughs> Seafood? What's going on in Seattle? No. But, ad- I, okay, addicted to cracking. <laughs> the Blues get to see the Kraken in the regular season for the first time ever tonight. The expansion <laughs> Seattle Kraken making their way to St. Louis for the first time. And the Blues will try to keep winning against a team that Michelle has had their struggles in the first year. We were talking before we came on the air about how... There were probably a lot of people in Seattle when the team was awarded and then right before their expansion draft that figured we're, we're going to be like the Vegas Golden Knights. We're going to go to the Stanley Cup finals in our first year. Well, Seattle is 10, 21 and four and they're nine points out of the second to last spot in the Pacific Division. Yeah, when the Vegas Golden Knights were created and they're incredibly competitive right out of the jump, I think if you are a Kraken fan, you assume that your team is going to follow the same template. And with the draft, you're going to be able to assemble a team with proven guys and you're going to have at least some semblance of success. And I do wonder when the grace period will be over for the Kraken because it's obviously not turned out the way from from a hockey production standpoint that they want. The rollout's been great. The sweaters are awesome. Yeah. Everything I hear from my friends who live in Seattle, the game day experience, great. 
But at what point is the novelty of all of that going to wear off if you're a Kraken fan and you're paying money for tickets and you expect a better product? That's the thing. Sports are so expensive now. Mm -hmm. And if you've purchased those tickets, especially, well, maybe everybody there has enough money so that it doesn't even really affect them. People are spending a million dollars on shacks in Seattle because of all the money up there. It is really expensive to live there. But I would imagine a lot of those people might also have tickets to the Seahawks. And once their season's over, they're directly now focusing their attention on hockey. Right. So the Blues will go into this game focusing their attention on trying to get a win. Won't have Braden Shen or Colton Pareko. They will apparently have Jake Wallman back. And on the fence, Scott Perunovich and Vladimir Tarasenko. Now, this is something Craig Ruby's had to deal with all season long. What about now? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, tough. Some some real good players that uh, obviously are out right now. Um, uh, like I said, you know, next guy get, you know, step in and do the job. And, you know, we just, you know, we got to, we rely on our depth that we have in the organization. And that's what we have to do. We talked about Vladimir Tarasenko. Could Vladimir Tarasenko be back for tonight? Yeah, I guess there's always hope. Um, you know, I can't really answer that question, to be honest with you. Always hope, big boy. I love Chief so much. He's just like, can't answer it. Don't know. There's hope. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. But that's how I would feel, too, if I was Craig Berube and I had dealt with this all season. Yeah. You can't control any of it, so you just have to roll with the punches. And if you're Chief and you're speaking to the team, at least you have a really good example to look back on. We've dealt with this before, and not only did we survive it, but we did well. And... I know that we're missing a lot of guys, a lot of really important guys, but guys have stepped up before and they're going to do it again. And clearly what we and the experts thought we knew about the disease, we didn't know anything. But wouldn't you hope and think and probably expect that the Blues will... Pretty much everybody's had it. So for the second half of the season, shouldn't we be done with it? That's what I'm hoping. I'm certainly hoping as we get towards the playoffs, everybody has <laughs> dealt with it at this point. So it's something that the team doesn't have to be concerned about. Because can you imagine heading into the playoffs if you were one of the guys who hasn't had it on the team? Really? You are in an incubator. I mean, you're not going anywhere. You're not doing anything. You don't want to be like David Perron last year where you're missing out mm -hmm. on the playoffs because of something that you can't control. But... I do think the one thing we've maybe learned is this time around, guys aren't having as severe of symptoms. A lot of them are asymptomatic. So we know a lot of players in 2020 that dealt with COVID had a long lasting effects physically. It seems now like the guys at least that are getting it are asymptomatic or their symptoms are so mild that they're able to jump back on the ice and get back up to game speed relatively quickly, which is great news for the Blues. We mentioned the Kraken last place in their division. They won't have Jaden Schwartz. He's out for a month with a broken hand. Here is Blues forward Tyler Bozak. Yeah, they have a very hard-working, skilled team that we definitely can't underestimate. Um, they play fast, they play hard, and they have a... I mean, anyone can beat anyone in this league any night, so you can't underestimate any team or you're probably going to get beat. So we're going to have to come out and play our game and, and, you know, play our best to be successful. I was hoping to see Schwartzy, so uh, we won't be able to see him, which sucks. But, um, yeah, they're going to be... They're, they're a good team. 6 o'clock pregame and a 7 o'clock face-off with Curbs and Joey here on 101 ESPN. I'm sure those guys were looking forward to seeing Jaden Schwartz, someone that they were battle-tested with. It's always fun to get to go out on the ice and compete against someone that you've, you've known for a long time and that you're close with. By the way, he mentioned that in hockey, anybody can beat anybody, and that is absolutely true. Did you see, and I didn't see the show, but I read 
that last week at this time, Frank Reich held a meeting with his team, and it was on the in-season hard knocks with the Colts. And he said to the Colts, he said, I guarantee you right now the Jaguars are sitting in their meeting and they're thinking, hey, we're going to beat them. He said, and the thing is, guys, they can. So you need to bring everything. And so he kind of foreshadowed what happened on Sunday with the Colts losing to the Jags. So was this one of those meetings where guys were looking at their phones, where they were maybe Probably. like passing notes, not yep. really paying attention to each other? Yeah. It seems like the messaging didn't really hit. The messaging was there, but it didn't really settle into their brains. Yeah, they needed to listen to their coach more because effort apparently was a big part of that loss. Another loss for the Mizzou basketball team last night, Michelle. I can't imagine that our friend Conzo Martin isn't in at least a modicum of trouble a little bit. 87-43, they, they lose yeah. to Arkansas. Arkansas outscored Missouri by 44 points. I would imagine he was feeling a little bit of pressure. Maybe his seat was getting a little warm before that game. I think it's probably cranked up a little bit. There's just not many things that you can look to if you're a Missouri basketball fan that gives you hope for the future. No, it, it really isn't. And you look at a game like last night. If Arkansas would have gone scoreless in the second half, they still would have won by six. Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, they were up 49-15 at halftime, and they wound up winning 87-43. to 49-15 at the half. Yikes is right. That's the only thing I can say is yikes. Well, who buys tickets for that, right? No, no. You're not. Or watches it. No. And by the way, beyond buying tickets, it's different with Mizzou because if you're driving from St. Louis or KC, you don't want to bu- buy tickets, drive for an hour and a half, watch that, and then have to drive home. I mean, that's, you're talking about six hours of your day. No, that's not a destination you want to go to. No, not for that reason. Major League Baseball, yeah. Did you have anything oh, no, else no. you wanted to I was going to just throw in some examples of Thursday names, but please go with Major League Baseball. Okay. We'll do that at the back end. Just wanted to point out that Major League Baseball players and owners are scheduled to hold a bargaining session today, the first since players were locked out on December 2nd, and hopefully they'll come up with something positive, but that is, it's all about hope. There's nothing to expect out of this. How long do you think that these discussions last today? Because today is obviously the first one. I wonder if they come in and they're a little bit more amenable when they arrive at the meeting or if they come in stone-faced. I think that's going to dictate everything. How? What is their demeanor, both sides, when they arrive there? Last one lasted seven minutes. This better last more than seven minutes. Correct. And you have to go in. I don't know. I'm not a negotiator. You would think that the sides go in and say, okay, even if we can't agree on this aspect of the contract, let's talk about this part of the contract. Something that we are, rather than we we aren't in the same area code, something where we're in the same ballpark. And let's see if we can work on getting something accomplished here today. I would take the list of issues at hand, the easiest one to overcome, and that's what I would start with because not only does it get you guys talking and get you guys to a point where you realize that you can get something done, but then I would text Jeff Passan immediately, and I'd be like, we have made progress on X issue. Right, yeah. We are talking. We have made progress here. There's still a lot to overcome, but please tell baseball fans that we are working on this. Like, if you're the the negotiator for the owners. Hey, are your guys happy with the chefs? Is the internal temperature of that chicken for every guy 165 degrees? We just want to make sure that you're really happy with the chef. Yeah, I don't know. Start with that. Yeah, but that might seem patronizing. 
That might seem like rubbing it in their well, faces that that's they all they got. Get it. Yeah. They did well, get it. But, but now, they not, only, now. not only they the chef, work. but every single piece of boneless, skinless chicken breast is perfectly prepared. How many of those guys are even eating that stuff anyway? Think I, about that. They I'm, probably have their own yeah, nutritionist. That's They're true. probably bringing in their own food anyway. I, I mean, I'll bet you half, though. Because the young players. The younger guys, maybe. But I, I would just imagine that the guys who are coming to these negotiations, that's a non-factor for them. That's true. You know that they yeah. have their own chef, their own dietitian, people that are preparing TB12-style meals for them that are going to nourish their body individually to you know, get the most out of their performance. This Athletes take that stuff so seriously right now. I don't imagine that they're just rolling into the clubhouse and grabbing a chicken breast off the pile. And we should note, and we, we've brought this up before, but if you've never heard, Right now in Major League Baseball, 33 players, most of them are on the Executive Council of the Major League Baseball Players Association, 33 players are making 51% of the money. So of the 800 Major League players, more than half is made by 33 of them. And they're the voice for the alleged voiceless. And And those are the the guys, yeah, those those are the guys you're talking about that have their own chefs. Yeah, and it's... It's hard for the owners to relate to what the players are dealing with. I also think it's kind of hard for those players to relate to what their peers are dealing with because mm-hmm. they've got theirs. They they have all of these advantages that their teammates are hoping to fight for. It's notable to me that there has never been one scintilla of interest on the part of the association to include minor league players. That tells yes. you all you need to know. That's a really good point. Yeah. So we've got some names for Thursday. Friday Eve. Good. Thirsty Thursday. Thursday, Thursday? Thirsty Thursday. Thirsty Thursday. Okay. A lot of people saying Thirsty Thursday. Okay. But I don't think we're we're not drinking on this show, so I don't know if that really applies to us. No. Friday Eve is good. Hump Day plus one. That's kind of a mouthful. Yeah. Friday Junior? Eh. <laughs> Doesn't really roll off the tongue. No. I like it, though. I do, too. I do, too. Saturday Eve Eve. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, good. Um, I don't know. A lot of Thirsty Thursdays, though. Okay. I think that's a given in the bar scene, Thirsty Thursday. So come on by. It's Thirsty Thursday. Well, you know, we talk about sports like we're sitting on bar stools, so oh. it kind of applies. Okay, well, let's well, let's marinate on this a little bit. We can try it on, see if yeah. it fits. <laughs> that's Michelle. I'm Randy Robin running here on 101 ESPN. Now get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. What are you sick of? It's sick of it on a Thirsty Thursday. I'm Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm over it, Sharon. I can't take this no more. I am done. I am sick of it. Do you hear me? Sick of it. I can't take it anymore. These people are the worst. Character and Smallman are sick of it. We want your text 65780 for sick of it. And Michelle, I've got kind of a unique one. After talking to people involved with the lawsuit that we aren't going to have, the the trial, Mm -hmm. and watching NFL owners and people that run franchises, George McCaskey, we watched that uh, press conference, John Mara, uh, the uh, people that run the, the Vikings. I am sick of being smarter than billionaires. (laughs) That's a really good one. (laughs) So am I. But just like we talked about with owners not being able to relate to players and the players who are making hundreds of millions of dollars Mm -hmm. not being able to relate to their peers, I... The owners are 
are very, uh, they lack self-awareness, mm -hmm. right? And part of me pities them for that. It must be a very weird existence to be so out of touch with reality and also be surrounded by people who are all really fake to you all the time. It's true, yeah. There's no one genuine around you. Everyone is so afraid to get cut out of the billionaire bubble that they're just going to yep you to death all, death all the time. Like, you want this? Yep, I'll yep. make it happen. Yep, I'll make it happen. And sometimes in life, the most valuable thing is genuine relationships. And if you're a billionaire, you don't have that. And that's one thing throughout this process, talking to people who are dealing with these owners behind the scenes, is whether it's the lawyers or their lackeys or people that are involved in the teams, no one is telling them the truth and actually telling them the gravity of the situation. No. Is there any more genuine member of the Lucky Sperm Club than George McCaskey? <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of people that are on on that list, yeah. but he's on there for sure. Yeah, multi-billionaire. Mark Davis. Yeah, there's a good one too. Yeah, unbelievable. I'm, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it too. Yeah, imagine if, if we were running NFL teams, Randy, or at least given the money to hire people who were really smart and could do it we would I, I can tell you right now if i were in charge of an nfl team it would be a top five team because everybody <laughs> else is so stupid yeah so what was that show where the boss would hide out and he would be working in the factory undercover boss undercover boss i feel like that's what sports organizations need to do like bill dewitt needs to hide out as if he mm -hmm. was a concessions person or if he was someone that was working in the clubhouse, whether he was a chef or whatever, yeah. to really see what's going on. Because I think these owners have no idea about the day-to-day -day operations of their organization. When, when George McCaskey is saying, I'm uncomfortable when Matt Nagy's asking my opinion on Justin Fields, this is a major investment. This is someone that you drafted high and that you're hoping you're gonna pay tons of money to mm -hmm. in the future. Don't you think you be paying attention to the assets in your portfolio like don't even think of it as a person if you're an owner this is a money play here and they're not paying attention at all another part of this along those exact same lines you're talking about the question was asked in the press conference with the bears is it a requirement that your new coach and general manager be on board with justin fields as their quarterback and he wouldn't answer the question and i wish the follow somebody would have followed up with so can you definitively say that Justin Fields is going to be your quarterback on yeah. opening day in 2022? That's a good question. He wouldn't guarantee to that. And this is the owner of the franchise who obviously had, you think, had to sign off on the trade up. You gave up a top 10 draft choice to get this guy. So, yeah, just logical. Say, yeah, we're looking for somebody who can best advance Justin Fields' career. But he wouldn't admit to that or wouldn't give in to that. If you put all of the owners in a room, and let's take Jerry Jones out of this because he's obviously very involved in yep. the day-to-day -day of his football organization. But how many of those guys, the rest of the guys in the group, do you think really know what's happening in their organization? I'm saying a half dozen. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, Denver at the moment, no. Detroit, definitely not. Cal McNair is clueless. He might have think he has an idea, but he really doesn't. Jimmy Ursay is involved. Obviously, Mark Murphy with the Packers. Ronky, no clue. Shad Khan, he might be around, but he's clueless. Well, he's he's involved now because he was forced to be. Yeah. Because Urban Meyer is in the headlines all the time, so he's probably forced to pay a little bit more attention. Right. Clark Hunt is involved and I think knows what's going on. Minnesota's owners are absentee. Saints, Gail, uh, Gail Benson out of it. Mark Davis out of it. Uh, the Spanos family out of it. Mara's clueless. Uh, Jeffrey Lurie 
kind of too involved, doesn't really know what he's doing. <laughs> Stephen Ross. No. Uh, I, I think that Robert Kraft is around, but kind of clueless. He lets, But he's smart enough to let other people know the show, smart enough to know what he doesn't know. Right. Jed York, no. Jody Allen, no. The Johnson family, no. The Rooney family knows. They do. The Rooney family gets it. They do. The, the uh, Glazer family, I'm not going to give them the credit for that. Certainly the Washington football team, no. And the Titan family, uh, the Titans ownership, uh, Amy Strunk, no. But isn't that outrageous when you yeah. think about it, that these are billionaires. A lot a lot of these people are people that are self-made. They have made their own lot in life. And you'd think that they would be shrewd business people. And if I have this much money invested in a product, I'm going to want to know what's going on with it. Just like you check your stocks every day. Don't yeah. you think you'd be checking in or at least have somebody that's going to update you on here are the issues, here's the opponent. Here's what's going yeah. on in the locker room. You'd think that you would want to know. Right. You would. And build an organizational philosophy like you do with a company. Say, okay, here's what our identity is going to be. And very few teams have that. By the way, the has I forgot to do the earlier ones. Haslam family, no. Brown family there, but clueless uh, in Cincinnati. Uh, the Tepper in Carolina, really rich guy, but yeah. not, not involved. Arthur Blank is involved. I give him credit, even though the franchise isn't that great right now. Uh, the Pagula family, pretty even though they're winning, you look at their history. Kind of, they they hired the right guy, Brandon Bean. Give him credit for that. Biscotti's involved in in Baltimore, and then Michael Bidwell's involved in Arizona. Okay, you ready? You want to know what I'm sick of? Yeah. I had to get something done without giving too many details from a government standpoint, and I've had to call several times now. And every time that I've called, I've gotten an automated system and been on hold for at least an hour, and still not gotten through to anyone. And I am sick of it. I'm like, how are we this dysfunctional? How can I not even speak to a human being? And I've wasted hours of my day or of my life because this is multiple times I've tried to get in contact with someone and there's no one to pick up the phone. No one. And this is something I need to physically speak to someone in order to give this information and get it back. And I cannot get through to anyone. Michelle, it's uh, uh, my shoulders are tightening as you're saying this. Uh, so I have a tendency to be stupid now and then. <laughs> so one time I'm sitting in my car and this exact same thing happened to me. And the reason that I have this phone right now is because I punched out my last phone. You punched out your phone? <laughs> Literally punched it out. Uh, wow. I, I went crazy wow. because you of Tom that. Tom Brady did? Worse than Tom Brady because I did it with my fist. Wow. Boom, because I was attacking that automated system. It is the worst. Yeah. So I can't imagine that you did it for more than an hour. I'm like, it is the worst. Is anyone there? Is yep. this just a game that they like to play? Are they la are they watching people calling and the the screens are lighting up and they're just laughing? They're like, well, we're not going to pick up today. These, yeah. This is stuff that people really need, but let's just chill. Let's just laugh. Did I ever tell you the story? And credit to our friends at Spectrum now because they have brought their service calls back to America. Did I ever tell you about the time that I yelled at somebody in, on a Charter? So I same thing with Charter. I'm on the uh, automated line for 45 minutes. And... Finally, uh, I yell, attendant, attendant, attendant. <laughs> and finally, somebody answers the phone. And I felt bad for kind of afterwards. But I said, where are you? And she goes, Manila, the Philippines. And I said, let me talk to somebody in America. And so I, I did get transferred, fortunately, to somebody in America at one point, And I got my problem solved. But 
I, I was just so upset that, A, I had to deal with the automated system. And then, obviously, somebody in a hut in the Philippines, I, I felt bad for her that I yelled at her. But yeah. it was frustrating. Well, and the, the two times I have gotten through to someone, this was literally a month ago because I haven't been able to get through anyone. The one person I talked to said, oh, you need to call this office. We can't help you. And then I called that office and they said, you need to call the other office. The worst. And I'm like, what? What? I, I'm just trying to get this done. How is? How are you guys? Did it ever get done? No, I cannot get through to anyone. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I know. And I certainly don't want to have to go to an office and take a number and wait hours. I no. mean, it's just. Especially now. And you know what? It's just, I feel like it's happening everywhere. It's just, yeah, it is. Pe- people can't get through to anyone anymore from a customer service standpoint. Hey, you call Hubbard Radio. We've got a receptionist up front. Yeah, that's right. All right. If you call to complain about Randy and Michelle, specifically Randy, you'll get in touch with a person. <laughs> I got to tell you, that felt good to get off my chest because it's really been bothering <laughs> oh, me for months now. Yeah. I haven't been able to get this done. Yeah. And, and you know what, Michelle? I, I look back now. And because it was an automated system, and it was my my phone kind of deserved it. I, it was stupid, yes. But then, but, but that's the like burning came. a jersey when your favorite player leaves. Incredibly, like incredibly, it's flushing money down the I toilet. I was just gonna say, you're punishing you. I know. You're punishing your bank account. But I felt better. Well, that's good. <laughs> At least at the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you did. Twenty minutes later, <laughs> when I thought about it. Yeah, <laughs> Andrew, what do we got? From the 636, I'm sick of seeing the Rams play 17 road games. <laughs> not. Like, not. I'm not. Not. What I am a little sick of, though, is you have Matthew Stafford saying this is, what did he say, a challenging environment, uh-huh, yeah. impossible yeah, environment. Yeah. You have the 49ers saying that it was clearly a home game for them. Where is the national people talking about this, about how you have this palace in L.A. that is not a home game mm-hmm. for these teams. I mean, this should be talked about more. It's just kind of brushed under the rug, but it's only going to continue to get worse if they don't win. Right. When the Rams get bounced in the playoffs early this year, I say that putting it out into the universe, the fans are going to be less and less and less interested in coming back. They're already at, I don't know, if we're looking at a 1 to 10 scale, where would you put it out of 5? Maybe a 6? I don't even know if it's a six. Well, if an opposing team can come in and take over your your stadium like that. But here's the thing, Michelle. They they may get bounced from the playoffs, but they're a really young team, and they'll supplement with a first round draft. Maybe <laughs> uh, the second round. No, maybe they'll get somebody in the third. Oh no! Not. <laughs> Feel bad for him. No, you don't. <laughs> All right, from the 636, I'm sick of waiting for MLS and the Battlehawks. Can it be 2023 already? Ka-ka! I know. But just think of, I mean, we're already in 2022. We're halfway through January. Mm-hmm. Just think about how sweet 2023 is going to be. We need to think of it positively. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. New and teams. I know that we're impatient because we've been waiting a while for both of these mm-hmm. organizations. But think about that extra uh, runway that City SC has been given and how everything is going to be absolutely perfect once we actually have games. And I know The Rock is cooking behind the scenes when it comes to the Battle Hawks. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, I can't wait for that day where we have uh, a Battle Hawks afternoon game and then SC at night. Ooh, downtown's going to be great. Yeah. From the 314, I'm sick of NHL officials calling a penalty and embellishment on the same play and throwing both players in the box. Pick one and go with it. Yeah. How can you embellish a legitimate call? That's true. Makes no sense. Not at all. Part of the stupidity of the 
National Hockey League officiating system at times. Yeah, it's a double negative. You can't triple stamp a double stamp. You can't do that. No, and they don't call embellishment enough because there's still guys diving too much. Thanks, Andrew. You're welcome. And thanks for your texts to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up, the Blues have had tons of COVID issues, but is there a silver lining in all of that? That's next on 101 ESPN. Not. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. you got a number of guys that are producing for the hockey team, which is important. I think uh, top to bottom, we got to have everybody contributing to uh, 200 foot of ice and offensively and defensively doing the job. It's got to be next man up for the Blues, who, as Andrew mentioned, have multiple players in COVID protocol right now. And, Michelle, it is notable, we should point out, that with Peron, Shen, Tarasenko, Pareko, Perunovic, and Wallman, out right now, and Tarasenko and Wallman and Perunovic, I guess Tarasenko and Perunovic could come back last night. But that would still leave four Blues on the COVID list. Two nights ago, the Flyers game was postponed because Philadelphia had four players Mm -hmm. testing positive. The league at this point says game on for the Blues against Seattle. I think the Blues want to play, but when is this going to end? I was really monitoring social media yesterday because we know how this happens when someone tests positive. There's usually a couple more on the team to follow, and the Blues have had several guys test positive in recent days. And I was wondering if anyone else might test positive, and if so, if they would cancel the game because the numbers just keep piling up for the Blues. But if you're the Blues, you've dealt with this before, I would still want to play. I would want to continue. I wouldn't want any more disruptions or games that I might have to make up at another time, even though we're missing a lot of key cogs in this team. I'm looking at the opponent in the Seattle Kraken thinking they've beaten better opponents than that with guys out from COVID, and it should be a, a game that I would want to play if That's I'm the a, Blues. Isn't that a big part of it? And you'll probably have Tarasenko back right. for Saturday night against Toronto. Now, Ryan O'Reilly tested positive uh, several weeks ago. Once you do test positive, you don't have to get tested again for 90 days. The only Blues right now to have not tested positive this season are Logan Brown, Bujnevich, Kairou, Costin, Robert Thomas, and Scandella. Those are the only Blues players to not test positive. I would think pretty soon they'll be at a point where it, very few, if any, players are going to have to be tested. Yeah, you would think so. And you would think it's a negative that so many guys on your team have had COVID, Randy, but it's 2022. We're being positive. We're trying to look at silver linings of everything. Yeah, of course. Hashtag positive thoughts. Positive thoughts, we get positive actions, right? And positive results. But if I'm the Blues, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, we've weathered a pretty rough storm. And now, not only did we survive and we were productive and we earned points in games where we were missing a lot of our key players, but look at all the guys who have gotten more seasoning and more NHL experience and 
Craig Berube has gotten a chance to look at these guys. And I think just as importantly, if not more importantly, Doug Armstrong got a chance to really evaluate some of these young players and see what he has and guys that were down in Springfield. If I'm looking at any component of the St. Louis Blues, an army we trust. And if army is going to go out and make any sort of a deal, I think it's a very big benefit for the organization that he's gotten to see a lot of these guys get some ice time and that they performed well and are enticing for other teams. I agree with you on the sunshine lollipops approach on two fronts. Number one, as you said, the Blues have a greater knowledge of their players and not only having them for availability if you want to make a deal, but you know who you can trust in a playoff scenario or Mm -hmm. if you're in a tight race down the stretch, you've been able to, to gain some trust or lose some trust in certain players because you've seen so many players. The other part of this is that the Blues will be able to go a long stretch here with very few players getting tested, and they'll be able to build up that continuity that they have not had in October, November, December, and part of January. They'll be able to spend most of the second half of the season getting on a roll because they'll have the same guys, injuries notwithstanding. COVID is not going to be a major part of the issue for the Blues for the next month, month and a half. Which is certainly a positive. And look at the fact that these guys are battle-tested and they've overcome something together and had success. That's a galvanizing force, and it also has given this Blues team a little bit of an identity that nothing really phases them, that they're a Mm -hmm. resilient team that no matter what circumstances are thrown out there, they're going to find a way to make the best of it and overcome it. And that reminds me of 2019, Randy, of a team that focused on the task at hand it didn't really matter what was happening around them that they knew that they had excuse me the talent in-house to get it done one other part of this is league protocols and i believe ryan o'reilly has the the right thought he says i don't think players should be tested unless we have symptoms Mm -hmm. that would be my approach if i were a league heck if i if i'm running a business if i'm running this business unless you have symptoms don't worry about it Well, they all had to get vaccinated, right? So they all should be protected. Right. I also think, circling back to something you said, we feel pretty good about the Blues right now. Despite everything that they've had to deal with, they're still in a pretty good position. And we're feeling like this is a team that can really beat any team on any given night. But think about the fact that we're sitting here on January 13th and we still haven't really seen them all together. We know that the best is is still yet to come. So if you're the Blues, yes, this has been a nightmare for you to deal with, but you have to kind of come out on the other side of this and say, how sweet is it that the best is still yet to come? And the Blues aren't going to have an overwhelming schedule. They've lost two games, I believe, the two Canada games to COVID. There's teams that have lost upwards of 10 that are going to have to spend their entire what was formerly the Olympic break playing and the Blues will have plenty of time to rest in the second half of the season too. So Colorado is a team because of their schedule they're going to wind up playing a lot of games while the Blues are sitting at home watching them get beat. And resting up. Yeah. That's Michelle. I'm Randy and those are silver linings on 101 ESPN. Now all the Blues, Blues need to do with all of that is just put together a playbook. So silver they can linings have... playbook? Good movie. Oh, yeah. It good, is really good. Good movie. Yeah. J-Law was really good. So was Bradley, Bradley Cooper. Bradley Coop, yeah. Shout out to the Eagles. No doubt about it, eh? But <laughs> it was wrong. It was wrong because there was, I wish I could think of what it was. But in that movie, when it was supposed to be, they had somebody walking outside with a jersey of somebody who wasn't there until 
after it was supposed to have taken Why place. do they do that? I don't know. You think all of this money that goes into creating a film and you're trying to make it as realistic as possible, is there no one on background? You can't get one person to do background on the team to see what players would have been playing at that time. Should have been easy. Should have been fairly easy to get done. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, Randy, Andrew with Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. We want your text 65780 for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Michelle, Randy, and Andrew with you. Michelle, Take It or Leave It on January 13th, 2023. Okay. Conzo Martin is the head basketball coach at the University of Missouri. Man, Randy. Take It or Leave It. I hate this one because you know I'm a big fan of Conzo Martin. Me too. But Love I'm, him. You know what? I'm going to take it. Even though things are obviously bleak right now when it comes to Missouri basketball, I wonder if they give him one more season. Financially, that would be the prudent move. He has Mm -hmm. a $6 million buyout. But how far do you let things get out of hand with that program where you're going to be down at absolute rock bottom and whoever you get, better be somebody good, has to basically build it up from being an expansion team? Well, if I'm Conzo Martin and I'm pleading my case or if I'm in the Mizzou Athletic Department and I'm looking at the situation, I'd argue that they're at rock, bo- rock bottom, so there's nowhere to go up. Nowhere to go but up from mm-hmm. here. I mean, it's not they're not very competitive. Right no, now. and the, to me the issue would be, and maybe they've already reached this point, where if you have access, if you're, if you're a college basketball fan and you're in St. Louis and you have access to SLU, or you're in Kansas City, I mean, and you have access to KU, why would you even bother going to get tickets at a Mizzou game? No. So you have to bring people back, and you have to bring boosters back. That's going to be the big thing. You know what I wonder? <clears throat> even if Illinois basketball wasn't good, Illinois basketball is a hot ticket for students. It's something they mm-hmm. want to go and be part of. They're part of the Orange Crush. The game day experience is awesome. I wonder what the fan interest is as in regards to students at Mizzou. Are Mizzou students wanting to go to basketball games all the time? No, there's there's nobody there. And part of the thing at, at a place like Illinois is that they've got the history. Mm-hmm. At least they can put up on the walls that they've been to a Final Four. Mizzou can't do that. Been to a national championship. Yeah, right. Yeah. True. But that's that's bad when even you've lost the students and they don't yeah. want to go be a part of something at their university. That's not a good sign. Oh, my turn. Your turn. It is my turn. Okay, so we know that there are a lot of NFL head coaching vacancies. One that I think a lot of people, especially around these parts, are paying attention to is the Bears job. It's an intriguing job for a lot of reasons. And this is a guy that I thought would be perfect for the job all along. But the Bears interviewed Doug Peterson, former Eagles head coach, yesterday. Take it or leave it. You think Doug Peterson would be more effective as the Bears head coach than Jim Harbaugh? I'm going to totally leave that. And I like Doug Peterson. But Harbaugh is a guy that I know can oversee an entire program. He's doing it right now at Michigan. 
and you need to have somebody in there. Right now, the GM is going to report to George McCaskey. You need to have a head coach that essentially is over the the general manager there. You need to have one person in charge. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Doug Peterson is that guy. Doug Peterson dealt with a lot of drama and a lot of meddling in Philly and still got the job done. I wonder if... Because it seems like Bears' ownership is pretty hands-off. We learned that mm-hmm. from from Mr. McCaskey's I'm press just a conference. Fan. Yeah, I'm just a fan. I don't know about personnel decisions. And they don't want to fire somebody quickly. They mm. give them the runway to get the job done. And I am, I'm assuming that whomever is going to be the head coach is going to have some say in who the GM is going to be. And I look at the situation in Philly, and I wonder if Doug Peterson didn't have meddling ownership and he didn't have a GM who was actively working against what he was trying yeah. to do, if he was given the space to build something, thing he already won a Super Bowl under terrible circumstances with uh, you know a backup quarterback in Nick Foles what could he do in Chicago if he's given the space to really work and if they go out and I, I think it's Joe Shane is the administrator in Kansas City that a lot of people are interviewing for general manager jobs get somebody that he knows from a previous stop and then give him some power but I, I don't think that Doug Peterson is going to be as effective as a pawn. I think in an organizational structure standpoint, you need to have that head coach have a little bit more juice than Peterson had, for example, in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. All right, Andrew, what do we got on the text line 65780? All right, take it or leave it. Next FL team needs to be coached by Rex Ryan. Oh, I'll take that. Yeah, I'll take that. He is theatrical to begin with, and the XFL loves big personalities. It would be a perfect marriage. I don't know if he would ever want to do it, but, man, would he be fun. Can you imagine Rex Ryan doing the caw after games? Oh, it would be great. It would be awesome. You could be bring uh, Brian Schottenheimer in as the offensive coordinator, like he had in New York with the Jets. There he, could, he knows St. Louis well. There could be something on game day about your feet. I don't know. We could just lean into that. He pokes fun at himself. It would be great. Okay, now... Rex Ryan, obviously a disciple of his father, Buddy Ryan. Mm-hmm. Take it or leave it, Rex Ryan's defensive coordinator should be Jeff Fisher, also a disciple of Buddy Ryan. Would Jeff Fisher want to come back to St. Louis, though? I don't know. Oh, he He's loves us. In he, a cabin he, somewhere hunting, fishing. Yeah, he, he told T-Mac that he loves St. Louis. Yeah, I don't doubt that he does, but Jeff Fisher thinks I he's going to be he the, the head coach of USC. Yeah, I don't think Or Jeff the head Fisher... coach of, of an NFL team. I, I don't know if he would want to come out of the cabin to be the DC of an XFL, of an XFL team. Michelle, the day that Jeff Fisher came to St. Louis, he was counting down the days until he was gone from St. Louis. Yeah. True. He doesn't like St. Louis. From the five, so leave it too. <laughs> from the five seven three, take it or leave it. Travis Ford will be the next Mizzou head coach. Ooh, I'm going to leave that. That's an interesting one, though. Do you think that that would be someone that they would be interested in in Columbia? I don't think Travis has had enough success at SLU to be that guy. I think you need a, a guy that's had very consistent success at a stop or had now granted Travis does have a tie he played his freshman year at Mizzou but I don't if if I'm Missouri and I I love what Travis has done at St. Louis U but I need to get something that I can sell at a little higher level and I don't know if that's Kim English who played oh he would be amazing yeah and he's getting head coaching experience now that's what they need to do. They right. need to, whenever the time is right, you've got to bring Kimmy English home. It's yeah, a no-brainer. Right. And, and I don't know if that's the guy. I, I look around 
because I'm thinking about this stuff, I'm trying to find the hot mid-major coach that they could bring in and would do a good job. And I don't know who it is yet. Maybe at the end of the season there will be a guy. But right now, I just don't see a guy where you say, okay, you, you hire, you fire Conzo Martin so that you can put this guy in place. And by the way, Kim English, head coach at George Mason right yes. now. Yes. And a guy who loves Mizzou. I yeah. mean, oh, absolutely time. loves the program. And I'm sure that's something that he would love to do is one day be the coach of his alma mater. And what you do if you're Desiree Reed Francois with a guy like that who uh, will start next season at 34 years old is you bring him in and you say, okay, we are at rock bottom. You have a 10-year contract. Yeah, we're going to give you the time to do it. You can grow with the program. You can grow the program the way you want it to be. But you have to... In my opinion, with where Mizzou is in basketball right now, you have to make a long play. You can't make a play where you're only going to have a guy for three years and get rid of him. And there's very few guys that you could sell to your fan base. This is what the plan is. Mm -hmm. We're going to give them a long runway to build something and have success. Kim English is beloved amongst Mizzou fans. They would be very pumped for that. Thank you, Andrew. You're welcome. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, who has a chance in this NFL playoff cycle to emerge as a an NFL superstar. We'll give you our thoughts next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by the Schnooks Rewards app. Check out Good For You, a free wellness program available in the app today. in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, if we see a Subway commercial with Tom Brady, we know who he is. If we see a Campbell's Soup commercial with Dak Prescott, we know who he is. Mm -hmm. If we see Matthew Stafford or Sean McVay on a commercial, we know who they are. Right. But this is the time of year. We certainly know discount double check. Oh, big time. Yeah. This is the time of year where people can make names for themselves so that when people see their face on TV, they know who that guy is. And we've got a list of guys that have a chance to step up and become one of those people during the playoffs in 2022. And I would guess, and you and I haven't even talked about this, but I'm guessing that if we're going to pick somebody who has a chance to rise to superstar level during these playoffs, mine are, my top two are both in Cincinnati. Uh, my number one is in Cincinnati. My number two is in Arizona. Uh, I've got one in Arizona, too. So Joe Burrow is number one for you. Absolutely, which... I wonder if that's even fair because after winning the national championship, I think Joe Burrow certainly was on the average sports fans radar way more than a lot of these other guys that we're going to talk about. But Joe Burrow is a guy that is a proven winner and he is built for the big moment. Nothing really phases him. He's Joe cool. It's unbelievable. Randy, he thrives off pressure when pressured this season. He ranks, he has 61% completion percentage, first in yards and attempt, and first in quarterback rating this season when he's pressured. I think that he 
obviously missed a lot last year because of the injury that he dealt. So this is really, you could argue, his first real season in the NFL. And look what he's been able to do with the team around him. And I think that he has a chance to take this Bengals team and lead them far into the playoffs. And he's going to be somebody that people are talking about in the same breath that they do with Patrick Mahomes and this next crop of younger quarterbacks. And Burrow is one of those guys, going to be in his third year, He's very likable. He's very well-spoken. He's from the Midwest, and you could absolutely see him in a commercial where an actress mom delivers him some Campbell's soup, right? Oh, no doubt. He's very likable. Yeah. He's, he's really likable because he seems very genuine. He doesn't really pull punches. He's not giving you the Russell Wilson screenplay, go Hawks at the end. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just give you a soundbite. Like when they were talking about COVID, he was like, hey, there's not a lot to do in Cincinnati. We're not going right, to the clubs. Right. I think we're, we're in a pretty good spot. He He's dealt with the spotlight before at LSU and I think that he knows that he can just be himself and he but he's also got that swag Randy you see him when he celebrates with the cigars his teammates love him he's a very interesting cocktail of Midwest humble but also I know that I've got it he's got some Hollywood yes and another guy on that team and he's really a fun guy if you get a chance to hear him Jamar Chase is a star mm-hmm. because he's unstoppable. He's one of those guys. He, he's got kind of a Tory Holt vibe. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's a guy, especially in this first weekend, Burrow and Chase, they can become household names really quickly in the NFL. Because you're going to be talking about them in tandem. Right. Yeah. So I, I could see that. All right. I guess the next place you're going to is Arizona with Kyler Murray. Yeah. No, not Kyler Murray. Interesting, because I think Kyler Murray's already kind of there. People know how electric he is. Granted, he's dealt with injuries, and he could certainly take the next step for superstardom. I think he's on that trajectory to be on the cover of the Madden game. Absolutely. He's got the skill set yeah. to do it. And he is a video game. He, I was just going to say, <laughs> he is watching him is like watching Madden anyway. But the person that I'm looking at in Arizona may surprise you. But I think Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury mm. has a very good opportunity here to prove that he is a good coach. A lot of people look at Cliff Kingsbury and they're like, eh, he's okay. You know, he doesn't really necessarily uh, elevate the team. They're not looking at Cliff's. Cliff Kingsbury as the genius behind the Arizona Cardinals. They're looking at the talent that's on the field, and I think he has a really interesting opportunity in the playoffs to prove that he's a good coach. Yeah, because he he's we know he's California cool. He's got the house, right? Yeah. Good-looking young coach with an electrifying offense. So, yeah, he could be a, a star coach. And yeah, it's, he's it's, built for stardom. He's got right. all of the components. And you have to have the look. If you're going to be a uh, Belichick is a star in a different way. But I wouldn't say Patrick Mahomes has the look of a star, but sometimes right. when you're a star in the field, it doesn't matter. Right. But or you become you become the look. Mike I guess, Martz you know? was maybe the most creative offensive mind in football in the last 25 years. But because of the look, they were never going to put him on commercials. Yeah. Cliff Kingsbury, like McVeigh, and I'm sure Matt LaFleur can wind up on commercials. Yeah, remember we did that Reddit poll of the mm-hmm. hottest NFL coaches? Matt LaFleur number yep. one. I got another guy for you. Okay. And he is maybe as good a guy as there is. It's Jalen Hurts. Mm-hmm. His parents are great. You know, he's got a fantastic family. He is the quarterback for the number one rushing team in the league this year. He's in a place where guys. 
Donovan McNabb, look how many endorsements Donovan McNabb had over the years when he was in Philadelphia. And you look at what happened with Nick Foles, with, with St. Nick. I could see Jalen Hurts becoming a guy that becomes really appealing to corporate America and winds up being a face that we see on TV a lot. Absolutely. And he's coming off the unfortunate, but thank goodness it's okay, FedEx field incident, mm -hmm. where he showed that he cares about people, and then he wrote the letter yeah. to the NFL. He's already garnering a lot of goodwill nationally with people saying, Jalen Hurts, what a nice guy. He's a lovable figure. Yes. Even though he's in Philadelphia, which is great. And uh, let me give you one more. Okay. And I, I can't figure this one out. But I don't think that most people, if you are in a grocery store, if you're in the produce department and Josh Allen is in there with you, that you say, hey, that's Josh Allen. I don't think. Do, well, do he's you, pretty tall. Yeah, but there's a lot of tall people. I, I don't think that Josh, obviously in Buffalo, he's uh -huh. recognizable in the produce department. But I don't think if he's in here. Louis. Yeah, if he's visiting to go to a Cardinal game and you see him. At Schnooks. You see Gretzky at Schnooks picking up one of those rotisserie chickens. You say, oh, there's Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, you know him. I don't think you generally do. I don't think most people do that with Josh Allen. Hmm. And so I think that, especially this weekend against New England, I think Allen has a chance to have his face shown so much that we know who he is. If he beats New England. Yeah. Yep. And let me give you one more. What about Jimmy Garoppolo? Now, this is somebody who was talked a lot about when he was with the Patriots. He's been in a Super Bowl. He's made some national headlines yep. with some choices in his dating life. Good choices. Were they? I don't know. Yeah, he had I fun. I don't know. Did he? <laughs> I hope so. But She was really good. How do you know? She's a pro. <laughs> hey, just because you're a professional doesn't mean you always perform well, as we know in sports. But he's somebody that I think a lot of people are aware of, but he's still considered on a certain tier of quarterback. Yeah. I don't think he's considered a superstar, but the 49ers are a team that could be very dangerous in these playoffs. They could really make some noise. And we look at this game versus the Rams. Jimmy G with the thumb injury, mm -hmm. he goes out there has a great game for the 49ers, pushes them into the playoffs. I think he has a very unique opportunity to change the narrative about himself and thus pushing him forward in our superstar rankings here. I look at Jimmy G. So if, if I'm going to look at NFL players, I think Jimmy G is the most handsome guy in the league. Italian Stallion. Yeah, so I can totally see that. The thing is, I don't see him lasting long term with his team. But if he if they make a run, uh, what are they going to do? I mean, that's going to be really interesting. Trey Lance, obviously the future there. They drafted Trey Lance to replace Jimmy Garoppolo. But at some point, if he takes them far into the playoffs, what if they get to the Super yeah, Bowl? Well, then he's been in two Super Bowls for you. That's a hard thing to say no to a hard guy to yeah, move on from. Right. From that perspective, and when you're following in the footsteps of people like Montana and Young, with a very popular franchise that a lot of people still like, if he does that, if he gets back to a championship game or a Super Bowl, then he's definitely going to be in the superstar realm. And man, will the price be high if you try to get him. I love that you just revealed you think Jimmy G is the most handsome guy in the league. I, I see Jimmy G, and he takes my breath away, Michelle. Wow, really? Yeah, that's... And I wouldn't call it a man crush. I'd just say, that's, that's an attractive man. You, do you, I, and I don't know. I don't know what an attractive man is. Yes, you do. You just said you think uh, Jimmy G is so attractive. Am, am I right? Yeah, I, of course. Okay. But I'm surprised you would say you think he's the most attractive guy in the league. I, 
I think that Sean McVay looks like Ryan Seacrest. Now, a lot but do of do you think Ryan Seacrest is a babe? Is the follow-up question no, here? No, no. And by the way, <laughs> I was surprised by the uh, Matt Lafleur being the most handsome coach in the league. Because you think it's Cliff Kingsbury? I don't know if I go. Let, let me take a look. It's see, see, I am. That's one place where Belichick is not bad. Belich, I, I kind of have where him. he's not bad. Uh, well, you think he's attractive? No, no, no. I just think that I have the look. Uh, I, I I would if I were up at a podium like that I would be disheveled with my hair not brushed and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know if there's anyone in the league that cares less about his physical no. appearance than Bill Belichick. No, so yeah, I, it I would guess Lafleur. You can tell Lafleur pumps iron and stuff like that. Pumps iron. Mike McCarthy is a, a disheveled guy. Uh, so yeah, I I, I guess I would. Uh, yeah, I, from a coaching perspective, I, I guess I, I can be on board with Lafleur, but I mean, I, if it, here's the thing: if you you've got one TV with Patrick Mahomes and another TV with, with Jimmy G, I think if you're a guy, you say you, your eyes go to the the, the dark skinned Italian stallion guy. That's, what can I say? Italians yeah, got go. something. Yeah, uh, that's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that is today's fresh take, and then some. <laughs> From the three one four, Jimmy G is by far the hottest guy in the NFL, possibly in all of sports. Thank you very much. From the 314, just backing you up, Randy. Okay, appreciate that. I wonder if that's from a male or a female. Let us know, 314. Yep. Oh, from three one, another one from the 314, Christian McCaffrey is a handsome man. He is chiseled. Yeah, big time. I wish we could see him play sometime. But yeah, That would be nice. Yeah, it would be good. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. John Kelly, the TV voice of the blues, joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is Character and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Great floors for every home with locations in Crestwood, Manchester, Overland, and St. Peter's. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle, the very first person that I personally knew that contracted COVID was our current guest, John Kelly, who's with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And the Blues dealing with COVID now. JK, good morning. How you doing? Is that what I'm famous for, Randy, in your eyes? <laughs> no, you, you're famous for being the best at your craft. But I, I wanted to go here because I, I want to know if you're amazed that we're still dealing with this all these months later. Well, I think we all are, and it's the unknown, and who knows how long we're going to be dealing with this, right? I, I, what do they call it now, an endemic, right? You know, as bad as it might sound. But, yeah, I'm, I'm shocked that. You know, David Perron, for instance, is now in COVID protocol. And, of course, last May he, he tested positive, what was it, the day before game one against Colorado and missed the entire series. So, uh, you know, I thought that once all these guys would get COVID, then we're sort of out of the woods. And, and now it seems like perhaps some players are getting it again. And that's just the way the world is right now. And, you know, everybody is dealing with this, obviously. It's, not, it's obviously not just athletes. So, you know, uh, the, the good thing is the Blues are a deep team. They've survived all of the uh, the COVID so far, basically, and the injuries. And, and right now they're sitting in a good position. So I just think, you know, as I said the other day or last week to you guys, it's going to be an ongoing thing, I think, the rest of the season into the playoffs, 
just trying to deal with this and, and, you know, get by and win games. Yeah, John, we were trying to find some silver linings earlier in the show from this Blues COVID situation. And we mentioned that seemingly everyone on the team, except for a few guys now, have tested positive. And if you're the Blues, you're, I guess the silver lining is that you're dealing with it now and not the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. Although we just don't know, Michelle. And, you know, I do know for a fact that once a player does test positive, he doesn't have to get tested for three months. So, for instance, Justin Falk, he tested in early December positive um, down in Tampa. Remember, the Blues were going on the ice and he tested. So, you know, for December, January, February, Falk does not have to get tested. So there's no way that he can test positive again at least for three months. So I guess that's, you know, one good sign. I mean, you know, hopefully that it doesn't come back again to any of these players or, or anyone for that matter, obviously. But, you know, it, it, it just the unknown at this point. Um, but again, you know, you pick up um, your phone and read on Twitter um, every day and, and, you know, go on NHL Network. And every day there, it seems like there are, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine players around the league that are added to the COVID protocol list. So, it's it's just an ongoing issue with this league. John Kelly, the Seattle Kraken, off to a rough start in their existence, 10-21-4. But that being said, I look at their roster, and even with Jaden Schwartz out, who, by the way, was leading them in assists when he suffered his broken hand, they've got players that have done good things in the past in the NHL. They're struggling between the pipes, but they aren't a walkover, are they? No, and I watched their game last night. They played in Dallas. They lost 5-2. And it was a tight game. Uh, You know, they gave up some really easy goals to Joe Pavelski. He had a couple of goals last night and and two helpers. Um, But basically, the shot totals were pretty even for the game. And, and, you know, they work hard and skate well. Um, A guy like Jordan Eberle right now leads the team with 12 goals, a former first-rounder by Edmonton, who, of course, has moved around, spent some time with the Islanders. You know, he's a good player. Jared McCann, a, a former uh, Vancouver Canuck is having a good year with 15 goals. Yanni Gord, of course, a two-time cup winner in Tampa Bay. So th- they have some skill and speed up front. And, you know, I, I don't mind their team. The bottom line is, though, I think they expected more from Philip Grubauer, mm-hmm. the former Avalanche goalie, Randy. And, you know, his numbers are not great. And Drieger, the backup, who we might see tonight. So, you know, obviously for an expansion team, that's the challenge to me, and that's what made Vegas so good is they got Marc-Andre Fleury from Pittsburgh, and he was the backbone of that team going to the Stanley Cup final. Um, so defensively, uh, you know, Seattle has not been as good as they needed to be, but obviously it's not a surprise considering they are an expansion team. John, Tyler Bozak is set to appear in his 200th game as a Blue tonight, which is hard to believe, but it, since he's come over in 2019, it's been 200 games as a Blue for Bozy. And when we think about important pieces of this team, there's a couple guys that we would list off before Tyler Bozak, but when you think about what he's brought to this Blues team during his tenure wearing the note, he has been a really important component to this team's success. Yeah, exactly, Michelle. It's a good point. I mean, you know, we always tend to look at the guys that, you know, with the flair and the goal scoring and the speed, the Kairos and the O'Reillys and the Shans, and the list goes on and on. But the, the fact is, what, what made the Blues so good and so effective in, in their cup year was their depth. And, you know, what he did with, with Robert Thomas and Pat Maroon on that third line was, was amazing. And, you know, obviously I don't need to tell you, he won the faceoff uh, on the key goal, the winning goal in, in double overtime. Um, against Dallas when Maroon scored on the rebound. So he's been a very effective player, and you've got to have guys that, 
that do their job and win face-offs and, and play good defensive hockey. You know, his role isn't quite as big as it was a couple of years ago, but that's just sort of the evolution of, of a team and, and hockey players. But he's still a very valuable part, and, and players like him, I think, become more valuable late in the season and into the Stanley Cup playoffs when, you know, you have to rely more on the veterans and the leadership and things like that, and he does a lot of little things really well. So it was a really good signing by Doug Armstrong, Many, uh, one of many, by the way, that he's, he's accomplished in his tenure. He's done a great job. John, who do you think has a skill set with Colton Pareko out, not to do what he does, but at least to, to fill some of those minutes? And that's, like, overall, PK, uh, he, he's such a key part and, and playing in the back end. Is there a guy that you think steps up and and can be not that guy but reasonably replace him? Well, you know, it's sort of hard to say, Randy. I don't think that you're going to ha- have one guy come in and say sort of do what he does uh, because, as you said, he leads the team in ice time, and, he, you know, he's, he's a great skater and, you know, g- very good in his own zone. It looked like at yesterday's practice they had Falk up with Mikola, and that would, you know, appear to be the top pairing. And then um, perhaps moving Scandella up on the second pairing with, with Tory Krug, we'll see what, what does develop. You know, Prunovich was not on the ice yesterday. He apparently is still in COVID protocol. But, you know, I think it's just like everything else, Randy, this year with the team. When you put players in the lineup, regardless if it's Dakota Joshua or, or Nathan Walker or – whomever, they, they have to do what they can do. They can't try to do something out of their comfort zone and or, or above their abilities because then you get in trouble. So I just think they have to sort of just keep on doing what they've been doing is, is play within your, your capabilities and do your job and not try to do somebody else's job and or, or do, you know, do something you're not capable of. And I'm glad it's only, it's funny that we say this, only COVID and that he's going to be out a short time. Because, John, when, when we look back at history, you can win a Stanley Cup with lesser groups of forwards, not guys that you aren't going to have an MVP on. You aren't going to win a Stanley Cup unless you have a really top shelf, number one type defenseman. Yeah, I, I think you'd have to be hard-pressed to ever find a team that's won a cup without a, without a top defenseman. And, you know, to me, the main reason the Blues won the cup in 19 was their defensive group. And obviously, Bennington came in and came out of nowhere, really, and was amazing, and their depth up front was great. Uh, but to me, the number one reason was, you know, the seven defensemen that they went to war with and battled with every night in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So, um, you know, I think the biggest surprise to me on the back end is Mikola, and I thought he was a good young player, but he, he's growing exponentially every month, and he's becoming a really big part of this team. And they needed a guy like him, a big guy, skater, who, who's mean. He got in Crosby's grill last week, as we know. So I think that's really um, – I think it's opened some eyes in the back end that, that Mikola has come in. And I think he's really solidified himself a spot in the top six for this team. That's great. John Kelly, always good to hear your voice. Uh, we will hear you on Bally Sports. Are, are you guys on tonight? Or you're, is your, you're, you're on tonight, no, right? We're on. Yeah. We, we are. We will be there. That's what we like to hear. We, uh, I'm always confused now between ESPN Plus and TNT, but I'm glad that Bally has it tonight. We'll be tuned in tonight. Thank you, sir. Okay, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. See you later. That's the voice of the Blues on Bally Sports, John Kelly, and they'll have their pregame tonight at 6.30. Action at 7 as the Blues, for the first time ever, take on the Seattle Kraken. First time. Yeah, first time for everything. It's got to be cool for those who are going to the game. Better win it. 
I think that they will. Better beat an expansion team. We used to say that about Vegas, and then Vegas always handled us. They were pretty good. They were. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, The Fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to The Fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. It's Carricker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It is 8.36 on this Thursday in St. Louis. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We had our fighter on the phone. His name is Terry, but he accidentally dropped. So Andrew is getting him back on the line. But we have an interesting new wrinkle in the fight today. Andrew comes up with great questions, and he had the idea yesterday, what if we throw some audio into the fight, some famous calls that could really spice things up, maybe make it a little bit harder for Randy? So that's exactly what we're going to do today. So, Andrew, do you want to explain a little more about what our fighter can be prepared for today yeah so we do have terry he is back so we want to welcome terry in what's up terry how are you okay michelle how are you i'm doing great thanks so much thanks for listening thanks for playing so welcome today you know people are like we need to take randy down we yeah. need to do something to right. to you know to shake things up so we're gonna add some audio today to maybe make it i want to say easier for the, our average joe listener but just to change things up so within the question there is audio and you're going to have to Basically, answer the question using the clue. Sounds fun. Sounds great. That's what great. we have today. Terry, you down for that? I'm down for it. Let's do it. I love it. Terry, Randy's undefeated in 2022. We need you to win today, buddy, okay? I'm going to give it a shot. All right, I love it. Question number one. This player slipped and fell in the outfield during game four of the 2006 World Series. Off the end of the bat into right center field. Falls down and won't make the play. Eckstein will cruise around second and hold at second with a double. Bleep fell down. What Detroit Tiger was it? Was it Maglio or Donez, Curtis Granderson, or Marcus Thames? Uh, Curtis Granderson. All right. Question number two. This team hit a game-winning buzzer beater to win the national championship. And they go length of the court with Archie Diakono. Three seconds at midcourt. Jenkins gives it to Jenkins for the championship. Was it was it Kansas, Duke, or Villanova? Uh Duke. Okay. Question number three for Terry. In 2010, this Blues player barreled over Carey Price while racing after a puck. And swatted ahead by Coley Akabo. And all the way down to race. Price, they go. Oh, and ran him over. Right over the goaltender. And Price drops the gloves. What is supposed to do? <laughs> and now everybody gets involved. What a fun call. Which blue knocked over the Canadians' goaltender? Was it BJ Crombie, Cam Jansen, or DJ King? Uh, let's go BJ Crombie. All right. 
Final question. A blown call by the first base umpire costs this pitcher a perfect game. Round ball, right side. Cabrera will cut it off. Covers! He's out! No! He's safe! He is safe! What pitcher was denied a no-hitter after this blown call? Was it Armando Galarraga, Justin Verlander, or Anibal Sanchez? Uh, Galarraga. Okay. Check in Terry's score. Confirmed. Waving in Randy. Chit-chatting in the hall. Randy. Randy. He's not seeing me. Here he comes. There he goes. All right, Terry. Did you like the audio that we included in the fight today? Do you feel that it helped you? Uh, Well, two of them I was sure I got right, and the other two was kind of a little bit of a guess. So, what? Well, we'll see how Randy fares. Randy, please say good morning to Terry. Terry, good morning. How you doing? Okay, Randy, how are you? Everything's terrific here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Randy, we have a new wrinkle in the fight today. I heard. Yes. So we're going to play some audio clips in addition to the question. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Question number one for Randy Carricker. Andrew, are we good? We're good? We're good to go. All right, I just cool. heard a boop. <laughs> I love it. This player slipped and fell in the outfield during game four of the 2006 World Series. Off the end of the bat into right center field. <laughs> falls down and won't make the play. Eckstein will cruise around second and hold at second with a double. What Detroit Tiger was it? Actually, I thought before you uh, asked the, the first question, when you think about 2006 World Series and somebody falling in the outfield, you think Chris Duncan, right? <laughs> yeah. If I'm not mistaken, that was Curtis Granderson. All right, Randy, this team had a game-winning buzzer beater to win the national championship. To the court with Archie Diakono. Three seconds at midcourt. Jenkins gives it to Jenkins for the championship. The national champions with Jenkins hitting the winner at the buzzer. Wasn't that Villanova over uh, Michelle's North Carolina Tar Heels? My North Carolina Tar Heels. Get out of here. Villanova. Jay Wright. Question number three. In 2010, this Blues p- player barreled over Carey Price while racing after a puck. And swatted ahead by Coley Akabo. And all the way down to race. Price, they go. Oh, and ran him over. Right over the goaltender. What's and he- Price drops the gloves. What is supposed to do? And now everybody gets involved. What is Blank supposed to do? Which Blue knocked over the Canadian's goaltender? This was 2010. Okay, I'll do the lifeline here. BJ Crombean, Cam Jansen, DJ King. I'll go DJ King. All right, Randy, final question. A blown call by the first base umpire costs this pitcher a perfect game. Ground ball, right side. Cabrera will cut it off. Covers! He's out! No! He's safe! He is safe. Okay, Jim Joyce was the umpire, and that was, uh, let me think of this um, Latin pitcher's name. Um, Hold on here. It'll come to me. (laughs) It is from the Tigers, of course. Um, Darn it. I thought thought it started with an A. Who is that? Um, Who is it? Come on, Randy. Um, If you had the lifeline, you'd get it. 
I, yeah, I know I would. Um, there's been another major league player with the same last name. Uh, uh, um, darn it, what's his name? <laughs> yeah. We're um, going to need an answer, Randy. Uh, I'll pass then. You, you don't even throw anyone out? No, I, I know the name, but I don't know the name. It's just not right at the top of my head. <sighs> I thought you'd get it. Okay. Well, oh my gosh. We have a tie. We have a tie. We have a tie then. Both Randy and Terry each got two correct. So we're headed to the tiebreaker round. No sound for the tiebreaker round. No sound. Okay, just a a standard tiebreaker question. So Terry and Randy, here's how this is going to work. I'm going to read the tiebreaker question. Randy's going to write down his answer on a sheet of paper. Terry, you're going to get first crack at it. We're going to give you about 10 seconds to give us your answer. First to get it correct or closest to the pin wins. Terry, are you ready? I am. Randy, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Here's your tiebreaker question, boys. How many touchdowns did Deion Sanders score during his NFL career? How many touchdowns did Deion Sanders score during his NFL career? Okay. I have uh, Randy's answer. Uh, Terry, whenever you're ready. Okay. Uh, let's go with 12. Terry guessed 12. Randy, your answer is? 17. Randy, undefeated so far in 2022. Did the sound trip him up? Was Terry able to take down Megamind? Andrew, ring the bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Optical Expressions. Providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. Terry, you were so close. I'm so sorry. But Randy, closest to the pin on the tiebreaker, he is the winner. So it was Curtis Granderson that fell in the outfield during Game 4 of the 2006 World Series. Villanova was the team that hit a game-winning buzzer beater to win the national championship. In 2010, it was Cam Jansen that barreled over Mm. Carey Price while racing after a puck. And do you know who it is, number four? No. Okay. So a blown call by the first base umpire cost... Armando Galarraga, a no-hitter. He was denied. (laughs) You knew it. He was right on the tip of your tongue. But he was the one that was denied a no-hitter after that blown call, which led us to the tiebreaker question. How many touchdowns did Deion Sanders score in his NFL career? Terry guessed 12. Randy guessed 17. The correct answer is 22. 22. So Randy closest to the pin. He remains undefeated in 2022. Terry, thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Awesome fight today. All right, thank you, guys. Thanks, Appreciate Terry. It. Have a great day. Randy, no no sounders? No, I didn't deserve it. <laughs> you won. <laughs> yeah, I did. But that's not, a, that's not legit. You knew the answer. You just... I knew, but I didn't know. So, But it, you said A. I, I knew not, you knew. I'm not going to give myself any credit for that. Wow. Just win, baby. There you go. <laughs> Andrew will hype you up. Next up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is time now for... You're killing me, Smalls. Well, Randy, as we know, this past weekend at SoFi Stadium, it wasn't necessarily a home game for the Rams. 
49ers fans infiltrated SoFi and really made their presence known. They were very loud and very distracting to the Rams. And Matthew Stafford, quarterback of those Rams, his wife, Kelly Stafford, was on Action Pack Media. She was on a podcast there. And she had a message for Rams fans as the game approaches, the playoff game, this Monday night with the Arizona Cardinals. Here's what she had to say towards Rams fans. I'm not going to lie. I've never seen so many of the opposing team's fans at a game. And we came from Detroit, and there are a lot of good traveling teams there, but that was wild. Like, Matthew is on a silent count. And for those of you who don't know what that is, like, he can't call. It's like a, like, when he hikes the ball, it's either a loud count where you can hear him, and that's what usually quarterbacks are on when they're at home, or a silent count. Matthew is on a silent count. Jimmy Garoppolo was not who's the opposing quarterback. It was crazy. I mean, I again, I've never seen anything like that, but um it made it it made it very hard for us cuz I guess, you know, we weren't expecting to be on silent count. I feel for. Her. That's uh, that's just the way it goes, you know. That's hey, you're the ones that asked for the trade to LA. That's right. So, you got to deal with uh, what comes of a trade to LA and part of that is having fans infiltrate a building that your team inhabits and you have the owner that chose to leave a loyal fan base and go to a place where there are fans from all other teams and a lot of ticket brokers that are willing to sell to the other team. This is on you, Rams, not not the Rams fans. Kelly Stafford went on to implore people who are Rams ticket holders in LA. She said, please don't sell your tickets to Arizona Cardinal fans. If these fans and air quotes were going to sell their tickets to a division game to close out the season with playoff positioning on the line you don't think they're going to sell their tickets when they're going to make infinitely more money for a playoff game you think that they're going to hold on to the tickets there that their loyalty all of a sudden is going to change to this organization they're going to get way more money for a playoff ticket i'd sell it and these people didn't buy these psls to watch the rams play these are ticket brokers and they're making money off of buying the tickets at price and selling them at a higher price Mm -hmm. so kelly stafford's being a little bit disingenuous here but at least she didn't she implored and she said please at least she wasn't suggesting that it was a dictatorship well no but she she has done that before she has to be in a tough position think about it she's at a home game for her husband and he's on a silent count can you imagine how frustrating that would be if you're matthew stafford you're at a home game you're trying to you're trying to not only better your position in the playoffs but you have a lot of pressure on you from a legacy standpoint to get this done and you don't even have a home field advantage we've seen it before and i'm not saying it's right but again if you are in a football market that cares people are telling the quarterback's wife to shut up people they just are that's just the way the football fan is if they were in a market that cared about the nfl she wouldn't have to say these things that's true that's a good point (laughs) she wouldn't even they wouldn't need to tell her to shut up because she wouldn't have these issues that's exactly right uh but i just think it's going to be very interesting to see how many cardinals fans short trip are going to be going there for this game on monday yeah i think it'll be fun i I, and are there going to be as many as there were for San Francisco, no. The the depth of loyalty for Arizona fans isn't what it is for San Francisco. But you are going to see Arizona fans in the stands on Monday night, no doubt about it. Hmm. And think about when they're not good, Randy. Think about if they don't win the Super Bowl this year, they don't have a lot of draft capital, the team starts to play poorly. 
people are going to leave and you're not going to get a lot of those people back. In San Francisco, when they built that stadium, they built it and it was on the backs of PSL holders who took out loans. And rather than continuing to go to games, the Levi Stadium PSL holders, they just let their PSLs lapse and quit making payments. And I guarantee you that's what's going to happen in L.A. People took out loans and they're just going to allow those payments to uh, they're, they're going to stop paying and they're going to allow those loans and the PSLs to lapse. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, a franchise that certainly has no issues when it comes to fan loyalty and fan support is the Kansas City Chiefs. We know how difficult it is to play there, not only because of the environment, but because of the team that has been the tops of the AFC for the past few seasons now. And Big Ben knows as much. The Pittsburgh Steelers sitting at 9-7, and seven, second in the NFC North. They know that they're a massive underdog going into this playoff game at Kansas City. And Big Ben was honest about their chances. We haven't discussed it, but I think... Um... You know, I would assume as a group, you understand that, you know, we probably aren't supposed to be here. We're probably not a very good football team. We're the, out of 14 teams I think are in, we're probably number 14. We're a double-digit underdog in the playoffs. So let's just go play and have fun and see what happens. Probably 20-point underdogs, and we're going to the number one, te- the number one team that's, I know they're not the number one team, but they're the number one team that's won the AFC the last two years, arguably the best team in football. We don't have a chance. So let's just go in and play and have fun. We don't have a chance, he says. Nick Saban would call that rat poison. Yeah, it's uh, reverse psychology. Yep, somebody's setting a trap. We, we don't have a chance. Don't take us seriously. Right. Good for Big Ben. But you know what? He's absolutely right. He is, yeah. Just go in there, have fun, play like you have nothing yeah. to lose, because you really don't. Well, and tell the Chiefs and their fans, yeah, we aren't that good. And let them think that. Because sometimes players believe that when they hear that. And if it was an organization that would be able to pull that off, wouldn't it be the Pittsburgh Steelers? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Especially with their style of play going into a hostile environment. Mike Tomlin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt. I love that. You're killing me, Small. And finally, Randy, you know how much I love Drive to Survive, the Netflix F1 yes. series. For a sport that I literally had never paid attention to in my entire life, they did an unbelievable job of educating the casual sports fan on what to expect from F1, of showcasing the personalities involved, the drivers. It was spectacular. And I think it got a lot of people on the F1 train that weren't there before. Now, golf is doing a version of Drive to Survive. There's going to be a Netflix series including a lot of golfers. So I'm going to give you just some of the names of the golfers that are on board. And by the way, the majors are on board as well, including Augusta National. So you're going to get a lot of great behind-the-scenes footage of what happens during Masters weekend for these golfers. But the list is long, but I'm just going to give you some names of people that are involved. Ricky Fowler, Sergio Garcia, Max Homa, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Colin Morikawa, Xander Shoffley, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, and Bubba Watson. Just a few to name, but a lot of the biggest stars in golf are going to be involved in this Netflix show, and I think this is going to be massive for the popularity of golf. It will be really compelling, and I didn't hear DeChambeau's name in there, but he's got to be part of it, right? If, I don't see it on but, the list. But it, you have to have both Kepka and DeChambeau to make it what it can be. Oh, correct. It sounds awesome, but you have to have those two behind the scenes just so that it, it can reach its full potential. So that you can see the drama. Right, or the lack of drama to find out if it is just a manufactured feud between those two. Maybe that's why they don't want to be involved that because be. it is manufactured. Yeah. Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. Coming up, the Seattle Kraken making their first ever visit to St. Louis tonight, and we're going to talk to their play-by-play voice 
Everett Fitzhugh will join us next on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN, your voice of the St. Louis Blues. Chris Kerber and Joey Vitale have the action tonight at 7, pregame at 6 here on 101 ESPN. And while we have the action here in St. Louis, Everett Fitzhugh will have the call on 950 KJR in Seattle. He is the voice of the Seattle Kraken and joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Everett, thanks so much for your time this morning. Welcome to St. Louis. How are you doing? Yeah, thank you. I'm doing well. This is uh, my first time actually ever in St. Lewis. So even though we got in town uh, 2.30 in the morning, it was really cool to see the Gateway Arts downtown. So thanks for having me. Well, let's start with this. Is this start anything close to what you expected for the Kraken? You know, I, I think it's a little bit of it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Uh, Vegas, as I think you probably know, has set a very unfair expectation <laughs> for uh, for this team, and and that there were a lot of those comparisons beginning of the season. Well, Vegas did it. Why can't you guys do it? I think that the goal of this Kraken team was to minimally be a playoff contender, minimally be a 500 team. So I think in that regard, you haven't seen those expectations met. Uh, this was a team that was struggling to, to find, I shouldn't say struggling, was still working to find its identity uh, up until, you know, mid-November, early December. You've been struck with a couple of major injuries with Tanev and Jane Schwartz, uh, and then you had COVID rip through the team like it has with a lot of other folks. So I would say overall, no, but it's still an evolving uh, beast, this, this franchise and this organization on a daily basis. Everett, what is the Seattle sports fan like? Because I imagine right now they're just so excited to have hockey in Seattle. They love the game day environment of the Kraken. But when do you think that grace period will be over and they'll start demanding results from the team? Yeah, Seattle is a very passionate fan base. And I know that every sports town says that about their fans. Obviously, here in St. Louis, uh, this is a passionate sports base. I'm from Detroit. We've got passionate fans. Uh, so Seattle is no different. I think that the the sports fan in Seattle is, is really happy to have hockey. And they're excited to have the NHL. They haven't had the NHL or NHL caliber hockey since uh, World War One, since the, the Spanish flu pandemic over 100 <laughs> years ago. Uh, so we've gotten so much support from the community. We've seen a few of the comments on social media, but everyone's got something to say there. I do think that, that there's going to be that grace period of a couple of years to figure it out. There, if, you, if you talk to folks and you listen to folks, they fully understand that this is an expansion team, that it wasn't going to be all roses from the get-go. I think the average uh, smart hockey fan understands that Vegas was an anomaly, um, and that is something that is is very rare, so rare it's only ever happened once. Uh, so I, I do think that there has been a lot of grace. I think there will continue to be a lot of grace, but I will say that 
the organization, both off the ice and on the ice, have set lofty goals for ourselves. Um, so it's not the uh, the public more say, it's us holding ourselves as an organization accountable. So I think once you get into the latter half of year two and definitely into year three, you're going to have to start seeing some results. Everett Fitzhugh is the voice of the Seattle Kraken. And Everett, you mentioned the, the smart hockey fan. And part of your job is to turn people into smart hockey fans in Seattle, right? So tell us about doing play-by-play where you're talking to a lot of people that aren't really educated about the sport. Yeah, you know, it's it's honestly a little bit easier for me because my job before here, I was in Cincinnati working for the ECHL team. So in, in Cincinnati, we share a plaza. We shared a plaza with the Reds, who uh, you guys are very familiar with here in, in uh, St. Louis. Right down the street from the Bengals, you've got two major Division One colleges in Cincinnati and Xavier. You've got Kentucky just over the border. I can go on if you'd like. Uh, so hockey wasn't the first option in Cincinnati. So as the PR director there and social media manager and broadcaster there, I had to work to to turn people into hockey fans. And I think what gives Seattle an advantage is that there's junior hockey there. So you've got Mm -hmm. uh, two junior hockey teams on either side of the city. You've always had the Canucks right up the road. So while uh, there, there may not be a lot of NHL fans, there are definitely hockey fans in Seattle. That, that is not a dumb hockey town. People just instinctively understood that when Philip Grubauer makes a big save, they cheer and yell, Grew. They, they instinctively knew that when you get into a board battle, you cheer, you bang on the glass, uh, and things like that. They can appreciate good offense. They can appreciate some slick moves with the puck and Jordan Eberle and Jaden Schwartz and guys like that who can make things happen. Brandon Tanev, before he was injured, turned into this this Marshawn Lynch uh, beast mode like uh, figure, this cult figure within the city of Seattle. So I think he still is. Um, so there definitely is that educated hockey fan, but we're trying to turn folks into NHL fans here in Seattle. Well, you mentioned Philip Grubauer, and I would imagine the expectations that fans had for Philip Grubauer is not meeting what the reality is. When he was signed to that six-year free agent contract, they expected him to be the franchise goalie, but he's obviously struggled this season. What's contributing to that? Yeah, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, uh, just about this full team effort and and finding that team's identity. And, and I apologize if it, if it sounds a little cliche, but it really is not all on him. And but he wears a lot of it. Uh, himself. He's, you know, an emotional goaltender. He's an emotional guy. Um, but he'll be the first one to tell you that I need to be better. Uh, I, Philip Grubauer, needs to be better. But then you ask anyone on the team and they'll say, we have to be better for him. This isn't uh, out of the ordinary for him. Uh, when he went from Washington to Colorado, he did struggle in that first season. Fast forward a couple of years, and, and he's now the reigning Vezina finalist. So uh, it's something that he he's had to have a little bit of an adjustment period. But over these past couple of games that he's played, and I know it's been a real sample size, a small sample size in Colorado, and then last night in Dallas, he has started coming up with some big saves. We've been waiting for that big highlight reel save. We've been waiting for that 
game uh, saving save on a breakaway on a two on one. He's given this team a few of those over his last six periods. So I think you can really start to see a rounding of the corner with him in terms of his consistency and the way he plays. But obviously the stats aren't there. He allowed, he's allowed three plus goals now nine games in a row, which is uh, a lot the longest streak of his career. He never allowed more than three goals a game in four games. Uh, in a row prior to this stretch. So I think it's about him just settling down here in a new city with a new team. But as the year goes on, as we get into the next season, he's going to be that Philip Grubauer that we saw last year in Colorado. Everett Fitzhugh is the voice of the Seattle Kraken. As you walk around Seattle, how much a part of the landscape have the Kraken already become? You go into a grocery store and people wearing Kraken gear and and on the streets. uh, How much have they already been able to infiltrate that scene? Uh, there, everybody, and, and I'm I'm willing to say 95% of the city of Seattle owns a Kraken That's branded awesome. piece of merchandise. <laughs> whether it's uh, a bumper sticker, a hat, a jersey, we broke uh, jersey record sales as um, as an organization when those went on sale earlier uh, in 2021. So the, the the community has really embraced. Uh, the Seattle Kraken, and I think I think it's for two reasons. Number one, obviously, you're an expansion team. You're the new the new hotness, as Will Smith would say in Men in Black Two. Uh, so everyone's going to to rally around that. But also, I think you have a lot of casual hockey fans who, uh, you know, Seattle is, is a tech market. It's never, like I said before, it's never been an NHL town. Um, you've got the junior hockey market there, but you've got a ton of Seahawks fans. A ton of Mariners fans. The the Sonics have been gone for over 10 years, and you still have a bunch of basketball fans. I was very surprised to know that Washington State is a huge basketball state between college basketball, high school basketball, and of course you had the Sonics back in the day. So you've got a lot of people who may be a little bit more on the casual fan base side um, as a larger population. So a lot of folks are just curious. What is what is the NHL? What is, what is hockey? You've never been able to see the NHL here so they've really embraced this team and this team has become ingrained into the community that's a goal of ours is to get out in the community Um, it's really weird for me because I'll be walking down the street people recognize me like hey Fitz what's going on (laughs) I I don't play you know what I mean I'm I'm, I'm a broadcaster but but people are saying hey what's going on to me so it's, it's really really cool to see we've got that beautiful training facility north of the city um, which is the first three sheets of ice in the city of Seattle proper ever. Uh, And that's been booked solid ever since it opened back in September. So we've really done a lot of, of good things as an organization of getting that brand out there. But the fans, the community, the city, the entire region has come out in droves in support of this team. Well, Everett, a pair of former Blues in Seattle right now, Jaden Swartz, who was performing well before he was out with that hand injury four to six weeks, and Vince Dunn, who's back from COVID protocols. But give our Blues fan listeners a scouting report on how Schwartzy and Dunn have been performing in Seattle. Well, I mean, Jaden Schwartz was one of the catalysts of this team's offense. 
Ski and Jordan Eberle uh, were, were a dynamite one-two punch, and, and that's why the news of him going down um, it was, was devastating to this team who had been struggling at one point to find the offense. And if not for Jaden Schwartz, if not for Jordan Eberle, you know, I, I don't think we would have as many goals created, as many goals scored as this team does, uh, as we see with the Kraken. So that's a huge loss. The way that he plays and, and the way that he draws attention from the other team's defensive core is something that you really can't replace. And then with Vince Dunn, I mean, he's been able to provide some offense from the back end that um, has helped Seattle become one of the most productive blue lines in the NHL. A couple of games ago, back on January 1st, um, Will Borgen scored his first goal uh, of the season. And when that happened, the Kraken became the first team in the NHL to have eight defensemen registering a goal. Seattle has gotten offense from all up and down the blue line. And I think Vince Dunn has been a big reason of that. He's worked on his defensive game as well, playing alongside um, Adam Larson for a few games who, who is, you know, he really settles the game down and he makes whoever plays with him better. So being able to have Dunn back there, he's been trying to find a spot, whether it be on that second pair, whether it be on that third pair, Jamie Alexiak and Mark Giordano, I think they've solidified themselves as this team's number one pair, but he's really provided a, a little bit of an offensive spark. And I, there are times when I'll be calling a game and then I'll see number 29 in the corner and I have to do a double take to make sure it's Vince Dunn because he's so active and he jumps up in the play and is so success, successful at that. Hey, Everett, before we let you go, you are in a spot that we can't ever imagine or that nobody that's listening could ever imagine. You are the first black play-by-play yep. man in the history of the National Hockey League. I know you look at it as a responsibility, but how, how do you treat this job? How, how have you, uh, if you could boil it down, I know there's a lot of tentacles to, to yeah. having that job, but if you could boil it down for us, how do you treat it? I treat this job like like you treat yours. I, I want to go out and I want to put on the best show that I can every single day. I, I don't want to be a really good black broadcaster. I want to be a really good broadcaster. Um, so I've always been passionate about broadcasting, about play-by-play, ever since I started uh, at Bowling Green State University in college. But I do think there is that social responsibility. And, and for me, never having a lot of positive black influences within the game of hockey to look up to, I'm, I want to do everything that I can to make sure that Someone who looks like me or, or, or someone who is a part of a historically underrepresented community, they don't have to feel left out about being a black kid liking hockey, a girl liking hockey, um, uh, you know, any other minorities wanting to play and wanting to like hockey. So I take my job very seriously. I want to be the best that I can be on a broadcast level, but I do also understand that there is that responsibility to make sure that folks know and that anyone out there who may be worried or concerned that they don't have a place within the game of hockey, I want to make sure that I'm doing everything that, that I can do to say that, no, you belong here. You not only have a place, but you also belong within this game. That is very well said and great to hear. And one more thing, as a Detroit native, before we let you go, you're going to be very yeah. mad at me because we have a thing <laughs> called the fight here at 830 where I answer trivia questions, and I, I'm pretty good at it. But one of the okay. questions this morning was the pitcher that lost the perfect game when Jim Joyce made the bad call, and it was? Oh, oh you're the same my. as me. I'm glad. Armando Galarraga. Oh. 
I, I, yeah, Armando Galarraga, and I remember that because I was sitting in my dorm room, and I was I was in college still. I remember I almost broke my window. I was so <laughs> angry. Oh my goodness! I was talking. So I went to school in Ohio. All of my friends are Ohio State, Cleveland fans, whatever. I was talking so much smack that entire day, and then the Armando Galarraga blows that perfect game. I almost broke my dorm room window. <laughs> Ever great stuff. Thanks so much for joining us, and hopefully, as the, this Blues and uh, Kraken relationship over the years grows, we'll get an opportunity to talk to you more. Yes, absolutely. I've been a big fan of uh, Chris Kerber for a while, so it's going to be fun to share the press box with him tonight, but looking forward to a good one here. Take care, guys. You too. Take care. Uh, That's Everett Fitzhugh. He is the voice of the Kraken on 101 ESPN. He's like you in more than one ways, Randy. One way, Randy, because Uh, I imagine you might have broken out a window or two in your day when you were mad about a sports result. Never would have broken a window. Well, if a window would have been in the way of the remote control, I guess it's possible. You might have thrown the remote control into the window or through the window. Jeremy Rutherford talking more blues next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. To the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line and our friend Jeremy Rutherford, the uh, Hockey writer for the Blues for The Athletic joins us now. JR, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. Doing well. Yeah, I was listening to your interview with uh, Everett, and when you talked about him being from Detroit and he might not like you, I thought you were going to tell him we have a punch of a Red Wing fan in the face uh, day here in St. Louis. Believe me, so, I thought uh, about it. Yeah, I thought that's where he was going, <laughs> was, too. <laughs> me, too. I was glad when you went to the <laughs> blown no-hitter. <laughs> well, JR, you have a new piece up at The Athletic about – the approach that Doug Armstrong takes in building a roster, and I, I guess we really haven't fleshed it out this much before. If you look at cap friendly, you look at the, the the way that Blues dollars are allocated, you know it, but it's interesting to have it there in black and white the way you wrote about it. Yeah, it's something that we've all been talking about for weeks and even months, the balance up front. Uh, you know, there's, there's not really, you look around the league and you see superstars counter McDavid, uh, Steven Stamkos and such. Uh, the Blues under Doug Armstrong haven't really done that. He believes in the Wolf mentality, the Wolf Pack mentality, uh, where you go out and sign a bunch of really, really good players. But anyway, past couple of days I spent some time crunching the numbers, and if you look at just the Blues forwards, they're third in the league among just forwards in goals scored this year with 104. Uh, they are second in the league if you add up all their points, 269 points. And, you know, you look at this roster, and uh, they pay their forwards $48.8 million. That's the fifth most in the league. But they're getting balance from everybody. And I think uh, one telling stat in the piece, guys, was you look at uh, all the forwards they've been missing because of COVID or injury, the Blues record without these individual forwards is, is just phenomenal. Like 3-0 and without Buchnevich, 2-0 and without Tarasenko, 1-0 and without Barbashev. So whenever there's a hole because somebody's out, this Wolfpack mentality is able to absorb it. Well, JR, obviously Army has to do his job by getting enough talent to be able to fill those holes when they arrive. But I also think it's interesting that the 
the players have that mentality of team first, individual success second. And I wonder if that's something that Army seeks out in a player before they arrive here or if that's something that develops within the players once they get to the organization because you have to get everybody to buy into that, and the Blues certainly have. It's the biggest thing with this. We could talk about all the numbers and points and goals and how much they're being paid and all that, but if you don't have players who come to town and and are willing to be a part of that, Michelle, like you said, then it's just not going to work. And, you know, I think what's allowed that to happen, you know, sure, players want to come in and have their own personal success and make more money. That's certain. But when you come to St. Louis in the past 10 years under Doug Armstrong, you know, with one of the top four winning percentages, points percentages in the league in that time, you see how they do it in St. Louis. And so I think you know coming into the situation that this is how it is. I need to contribute, and I'm going to be part of this team. And the one comment that I really liked that he made in the article was he said, look, they made the trade for Buchnevich and, and Saad, and these are two players who they were coming in. They weren't going to be the marquee faces and names, you know, up on the, uh, the, the boards on, on the highway. And they weren't going to be players who, if they went three or four games without scoring, all of a sudden everybody's talking about them on talk radio. They just came in to be a part of it. And I think that's what some of these other players enjoy, too. And, JR, how much does Craig Bruby have to do with that? Because we look back to 2019, obviously, when Alex Steen was asked to take a different role. He did it without question. And that contributed to the Blues' success and ultimately winning a Stanley Cup. But prior to Craig Bruby coming in, that was kind of an issue that the Blues dealt with, was a lot of these younger star players not necessarily wanting to do what the, the coach asked of them all the time. So how much credit do we need to give Craig Bruby for also instilling this team mentality yeah michelle a ton you can go back to the steen situation um, but you can look at more recent examples too i uh, look at tyler bozak he had a heart-to-heart with tyler bozak hey we like got a lot of guys who you know are probably going to play ahead of you you're not going to be on the power play but i need you to be that steady veteran on that fourth line and he's done that look at the Braden shen comes back from injury last week and who gets knocked off the power play brandon Saad, who leads the team in power play goals with five so i think that's where that mentality is he's done a great job and I, I know that uh, everybody's been talking for weeks and months about uh, Craig Ruby putting players in the right spots whenever he has to put together a lineup whether it's got Springfield guys or guys coming back from COVID or whatever he just seems to uh, he and the coaching staff have a knack uh, for kind of adjusting to the type of players that they have in the lineup and, and just still trying to uh, play the way that the Blues want to play. Jared do you think it, there is a method to the madness with the fact and this isn't assumption with the fact that the highest paid blues players, Tarasenko and O'Reilly are tied for being the 54th highest paid players in the league. Yeah, no, I think so. And these are two contracts that look when the Tarasenko contract was done, Randy, we thought, wow, this is going to be a bargain deal, you know, in year seven when he's making 7.5 and the rest of the league's making 10 or 11. You know, I think with his production this year coming back from the shoulder, we can say that. Like, what he's doing right now is is a bargain for 7.5. Ryan O'Reilly's numbers might not be there, but we all know, everybody watching the game, he shows up every night and, uh, you know, pulls the team. And and so his value to the team is worth his 7.5. And then after that, you have Shen at 6.5, and the rest of them, you know, Buchnevich, Saad, you know, 5.8, 4.5, Karan, you know, 4.0. They're all in that $4, $5 million range, and, and that's what allows you, as Doug Armstrong always says, to not have, you know, star players, but just really, really good players at all the positions. It's, it's having those guys at those prices. Yeah, it might be the most balanced team in the league. 
It really is. And I didn't get into uh, the defense. I really wanted to focus on the forwards. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, when you, you stretch this out to the defense as well, I mean, you know, next year when Colton Preco's contract kicks in, you're going to have your top three guys, Falk, Krug, and, and Preco, all at that 6-5 number. And that's kind of what allows you to, you know, sign as many forwards as you can, too, at a reduced rate because you got the, the defensemen coming in cheaper, too. So uh, it, it really is. I mean, they're getting their bang for their buck with uh, the players that they have on this roster. JR, always good to hear your voice. It'll be fun to take on Seattle for the first time tonight, and we'll keep reading your great work in The Athletic. Thank you guys very much. Have a good uh, week. You too. That is Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider from The Athletic on 101 ESPN. Next up, it is Wild Card Weekend in the National Football League. Is there a defense that could get their team to the Super Bowl? It's an offensive league now. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Six games in the wild card weekend in the NFL. The AFC has the Patriots and the Bills, the Steelers and the Chiefs, and the Raiders and the Bengals. While in the NFC, you've got the Eagles at Tampa Bay, the 49ers at Dallas, and the Arizona Cardinals at Arizona, uh, or at L.A., rather, to take on the Rams on Monday night. And, Michelle, we talk so much about the quarterbacks, as we should, and about the young, dynamic offensive talent in the league. We kind of tend these days to forget about the defense. I think there are some defenses in this league that could lead their teams to victory this weekend. And a couple that could lead their teams to the Super Bowl. It feels like since the Legion of Boom, we don't really talk about defenses enough. No. It's, you're right. It's all about the quarterback. The quarterback is the most important currency in sport and the star offensive players. But you're right. Defense still making a big difference. So let's talk about some. Well, you look at... Ben Roethlisberger's comments about the Steelers. Oh, nobody thinks we're going to win. Steelers led the league with 55 sacks. They're going against an offense that doesn't have their best running back. It might not have their top two running backs. And the Steelers got their best cornerback, Joe Hayden, back last week. So they have their defensive backfield. They have T.J. Watt, who will probably wind up being the player of the year, the defensive player of the year in the league. Minka Fitzpatrick is one of the safeties in the league that has a chance to defend Travis Kelsey. Would I be at all surprised to see this Pittsburgh defense shut down the Kansas City offense this weekend? No way. Me either. That's a really good call. What about the 49ers, Randy? When we're talking about defenses, obviously Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, DJ Jones, Fred Warner, that front seven has been a headache for teams. And I think that the 49ers could be a team defensively that really helps push their team towards a victory. And when they get things started in Dallas, Dallas has had so much trouble running the ball. And Zeke Elliott has obviously been injured throughout the course of the year. So has Pollard and If you get into a situation, and I know the cornerbacks, the cornerback situation in San Francisco leaves something to be desired, but if you force Dak Prescott to win the game, and if you're the 49ers and you can make it so that he has to drop back and throw, then you certainly have a chance. And you look what they did against the high-powered Rams last weekend. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt that San Francisco can do some damage against Dallas. And on the flip side... I I think that San Francisco has to be able to run the ball effectively because if they get in a situation like they were in last weekend where they have to start throwing the ball, 
I think that Jimmy Garoppolo will get eaten alive by the Dallas pass rush. Yeah, it felt like there were four hands on Aaron Donald at all times. Mm-hmm. You almost need two to three guys to contain him. So any defense that has Aaron Donald on it, you know, can be a nightmare. It's they did a good job, San Francisco did, yep. of containing him and of containing that Rams defense, but they're certainly a threat defensively. Yep. Now, I'm going to give you my number one choice here. Three times, Michelle, in the Super Bowl era, a rookie quarterback has taken on the defense that led the league in points allowed and yards allowed. Mm-hmm. Those three rookie quarterbacks are 0 and 3. Mac Jones this weekend <laughs> goes to Buffalo, where the Bills had the number one scoring defense and the number one yardage defense in the league. And I know what New England was able to do with the running game in the wind at Buffalo on that Monday night a couple of months ago. But if the Patriots put the game into the hands of Mac Jones, I think that he's going to have a really difficult time putting up pu- putting points on the board against that Buffalo defense. I know you're not a Mac Jones believer. I'm, I think he's Chad Pennington. That, mm-hmm. That's what I've reached. Yeah. And Chad Pennington was a good quarterback. But he's, he's he just doesn't have the physical talents of the best NFL quarterbacks. It's nothing against him. He's doing what he can do. Yeah, he's no Tom Brady. No, and he, he's got smaller hands. It's going to be difficult for him in the cold weather in Buffalo. Well, let's talk about Tom Brady's Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're obviously missing some pieces on offense, but they have a really strong defense. According to Pro Football Focus, they rank sixth in overall pressure rate, eighth in quick pressure rate. And I know that they had some guys out on the defensive side. Jack Barrett was limited in practice, but he's activated. And I think that with the deficiencies that they have on offense, this could be a really big opportunity for that Tampa Bay defense to be a really big contributor to that that win over the Eagles. Because and, you mentioned a young quarterback. Jalen Hurts mm-hmm. is obviously some somebody that you would want to keep an eye on, too. And that's a team that just can't throw. Eagles led the league in rushing, but they just can't throw. And I came in thinking, okay, well, the Buccaneers have this number one rush defense, and they have had for three years. But because of the injuries and because of teams that they've played in the last 11 games, Tampa's only in the middle. They're only 16th against the run since the first time they saw Philadelphia this season. That being said, with Vita Vea back, with Shaq Barrett back, with Levante David coming back this weekend, with Devin White apparently healthy, this is going to be the biggest test for that Philadelphia rush offense. And I'm with you. I think Tampa Bay can absolutely stifle Philadelphia. If I were to pick one in the AFC, it would be Buffalo. If I'm going to pick one in the NFC, I'm going to go with Tampa Bay. Should be a fun weekend of football. I can't wait. Yeah, it'll, it'll be really interesting. By the way, neither of us mentioned the Raiders or the Bengals because I don't. I think that game has a chance to be a really fun shootout. I don't I see either of those defenses being great. And... Unfortunately for our Arizona Cardinals this weekend, I do think the defense in that game is the the Rams' defense. Oh, yeah, since our Dolphins didn't make the playoffs and we're a little upset with them mm-hmm. that they fired Beeflo, do we have a, a team that our show's going to cheer for? I know this weekend you said our Arizona Cardinals, and yeah. definitely we're going to cheer for them this weekend. But overall, is there a team that we want to adopt for the playoffs? I think we should let the listener weigh in on this. Okay, 65780. What team should Randy... Well, Andrew is a Vikings fan, so he mm-hmm. can jump on this if he wants. But what team should we adopt? You know, I, I think this is predictable. What? I think it's the Titans. Oh, you know who I was going to say? I am I really am cheering for the Bengals. I want to see Joe Burrow make a run. But I want to see a team in week two of the playoffs, too. <laughs> you don't think that Cincinnati is going to go on a run? You don't think that they could beat Vegas? I think they need some help on defense before they get ready to go on a run. And they, they might beat Vegas, but they aren't winning after that. And, you know, of course, I'll be 
keeping one eye on Tom Brady. Oh, absolutely. Legacy watch. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't adopt them. Sorry. But six five seven eight zero. I think we need to determine this as a group. I'm with you. Let's do it. All right. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, uh, a great sign, a great free agent signing in sports this morning. We'll tell you about that with what's on tap on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Fun stuff here with uh, what's on tap. By the way, the Blues on tap tonight. 6 o'clock pregame, 7 o'clock faceoff here on 101 ESPN. If you missed any of our interviews, John Kelly, Everett Fitzhugh, the voice of the Seattle Kraken, Jeremy Rutherford, check out our podcast. And we appreciate you for listening to the podcast. Apparently, it's doing very well. Find it at 101ESPN.com. It's brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. That's right. Download it. It's free. If you miss any of the show, think about it. You can carry us in your pocket with you at all times. You can listen to the show at your convenience. And you can join Michelle Saturday from 4 to 6 at Copper Fire in Belleville. Come out before the game. Enjoy 16 drought taps, all served ice cold, specialty slushies, including... The Gloria Cocktail Slushie. Delicious. Awesome. It's all happening Saturday from 4 to 6 with Michelle at Copperfire. Get more details at 101ESPN.com. Michelle, I mentioned the free agent signing. So ESPN already has Woj. He's yes. the best basketball insider. They have Adam Schefter, best football insider. Jeff Passan. They've got Jeff Passan, the best baseball insider. They have hired Pete Thamel. He is the best college football insider in the business, and he's making his way now to ESPN, and he'll join that other group of insiders. I've, it's... Peer domination by ESPN from an insider perspective. Scary, yeah. It's going to be great to have those insiders. Buster Olney of ESPN has a great piece up about the best outfielders at each position in Major League Baseball. His top right fielder is Ronald Acuna of the Braves with Juan Soto second. Legit. He has Dylan Carlson rated as his number 12 right fielder. Okay. Ten top ten center fielders, Mike Trout still of the Angels. Starling Marte of the Mets is his number two. He's got Harrison Bader as his number 11. He is hmm. B- Bader honorable mention says he improved some parts of his game markedly, for example, reducing his strikeout rate from 32% in 2020 to a career low 21.2% last season. And his defense is always great. He won his first gold glove in 2021. Then, Michelle, you move to left field. Buster only has as his top left fielder, Tyler O'Neill. Number one. Of the St. Louis Cardinals. He said, the gap between O'Neill and any other player at his spot might be the most significant of all the positions. He's a plus defender. He mashed 34 home runs last season and finished 19th in Fangraph's base running metric. His rate of hard hit balls jumped from 33% in 2020 to 42.8% last year. He has, Buster only, Jesse Winker as the number two left fielder in all of baseball. And by the way, Randy Rosarain, number three. Shout out to Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, congratulations, congratulations, Tyler. Let's yeah. go. I mean, a couple of gold gloves, as as you mentioned, Buster only illustrates there. The power is there. Tyler O'Neill was a huge component to the Cardinals' success last year. I know when we talked about things we expect out of this team Yesterday, you said you expect the league to get a little bit more familiar with mm-hmm. Tyler O'Neill, and maybe those numbers will regress a little bit. I don't think so. I'm going to take the other side of that coin. I think we can continue to see Tyler O'Neill uh, find himself and be productive. One thing that Tyler O'Neill has going for him, among many, 
is that he has such an incredibly short swing. There's no need for him to strike out a lot because that ball flies even if he doesn't have to swing hard because he's just so... Have you seen the muscles? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... He's incredible. So from that perspective, yeah, I I could see good things happening for him. I'm just concerned that there's a hole in the swing. And people, once they find that, they'll exploit it. And it's like what happened to him with the slider before. Once they start exploiting you, you are and Bader have, had the same thing happen with the slider from right-handers. Once they start exploiting you, it doesn't stop until you figure it out. And you said Harrison Bader was ranked number 11? Number 11 among center fielders. Now, I want to dive into this. I don't have it in front of me, obviously, after the show. Yes. Because I'm very interested to see which 10 players were ranked above Harrison Bader. Because obviously, he is de- elite defensively, gold glove winner. I know that you're looking at the complete package here, offense and everything included. But... I have a hard time putting 10 other players before Harrison Bader when it comes to the center field position. Okay, tell me, uh, just give me a ba- better if Harrison Bader is better than these guys. Okay, Mike Trout. No. Starling Marte. Defensively. Can make it that legit. <laughs> of course. Uh, opinion. Brian Reynolds of the Pirates. Defensively. George Springer of the Blue Jays. Oh, that's a good one. Uh ooh. See, I think at this stage, I would have Bader. I know. I, I was just going to say, I might take Harrison Bader over him. The The, the defense is obviously incredible. Mm-hmm. And you think about, too, what the Cardinals were when Harrison Bader was out with that injury. It was a different team yeah. when he wasn't there. Luis Robert of the White Sox. He's pretty good. But I think I might take Bader. Thing Am is, I being Harry the Homer here, though? I don't know. It, it, Robert is such a great offensive performer. Now, he only played 68 games last year, too, but an OPS plus of 155. He's not the best defensive player, but his offense is off the charts. It's great. Yeah. Cedric Mullins of Baltimore, really underrated. 72 extra base hits last season. And he won a silver slugger in center field in the American League. But you would just think that, given the gold glove defense with Harrison Bader, that that might push him up the charts. Yeah, I think his his offense needs to take another step. Of course, Harrison's yes. does. Cody Bellinger, the Dodgers. If you compare Bader and Bellinger just last year, you take Harrison Bader. Mm-hmm. Bellinger was not good. La- In fact, there was talk during the season of them non-tendering him, but then he had the, the postseason that he had. But I think you're probably looking at the totality of his career there. Yes. Byron Buxton of the Twins. Exceptionally talented guy. Just got the big contract, but he never plays. And by the way, Bader needs to play more, too. Mm-hmm. Cattell Marte of the Diamondbacks also didn't play last year. And Kike Hernandez of the Red Sox. Those are the top 10. Right below Harrison Bader, uh, also receiving honorable mention, Ramon Laureano of the A's, Miles Straw of the Guardians, Kevin Kiermeyer of the Rays. Mm-hmm. I thought that he would be higher. Me too. Trent Grisham of the Padres and Adolis Garcia oh, of the Texas Rangers. How good do you feel that Tyler O'Neill is ranked above Randy A? I feel good about that. Me I'm too. happy with that. I think the Cardinals probably feel pretty good about yeah, that too. Just to take a uh, take a, a deep breath and you know, exhale a little bit, and then just hope like hell that next year Matthew Libertor <laughs> turns into what you expect him to be. Fingers crossed, because that could end up being something that we really prematurely freaked out on. But listen, with good reason, Randy Rosarena was the second coming of Babe Ruth in the postseason. It was shocking. Yeah, and I understand. I was freaking out too, but it's a good thing that. Those in the Cardinals front office have more patience than we do as fans. And by the way, if you tell me going into a season that out of 30 major league teams, I have top 12 at all three outfield positions, and I know Dylan Carlson is ascending, I hope that Bader is still ascending, and I've got the number one left fielder, I'll take my chances Mm -hmm. with the group of guys that I have. In fact, 
if I were as much as I love Mike Trout, and Mike Trout has been magnificent. Has he been Albert Pujols in his first 11 years? No. But some people would tell you he has. Yeah, but they're wrong. I agree. But Do it in the postseason. Sorry. It, that matters to me. If you're hoping to win over the course of the next five years, Mike Trout's not going to get better. He's 31. Mike Trout's going to be on the backside here. Not that Harrison Bader is ever going to be better than Mike Trout, but I would say that in center field, if I'm an Angels fan, I would re- with the, where they are, I'd rather have an ascending guy than a descending guy. I think Harrison Bader is great. I think I would roll the dice with Mike Trout, even oh, yeah. aging Mike Trout. <laughs> if, if you're the Cardinals with where they are, you trade Bader for Trout today, Bader and a bunch of stuff. But I'm just talking about where the Angels are and where they want to go. Mike Trout... Might he might have the same effect on them that Albert had? Mm-hmm. He's he might be kind of useless unless they make oh, some gosh. dramatic changes in terms of winning playoff games. Unless they make some dramatic changes, he might be kind of useless for them. Can you imagine if Mike Trout never gets that postseason moment, That'd or be sad. at least the opportunity? It's sad for baseball if he doesn't. And what yeah. a shame if the Angels give him all this money and they've had him in house all of this time yeah. and they can't get him there. He's the best player of his, his era, without question. But how? outrageous is it that the average baseball fan has never really seen him do it it's it's almost like an urban legend like mike trout is the greatest mike trout is the greatest how many people because if you're a fan of baseball Mm -hmm. you have a lot of time you have a lot of sweat equity and watching your own team you don't get a chance to really see a lot of other teams for some fans it's literally the postseason where they get to get introduced to these superstars and mike trout we've never gotten that opportunity we had a conversation earlier about nfl owners not knowing about their sport and how we could do better Artie Moreno is that guy in baseball. We could do better than Artie Moreno. He likes to acquire stars. We know yeah, that. He doesn't understand that you need to pitch. Mm-hmm. That's pretty pitch, important. Pitching is pretty important I would say so, yeah. Uh, great job today by our producer engineer, the one and only Andrew Marsh. Thank you. I appreciate it. Michelle, this was fun. We'll do it again tomorrow. It was. Good Friday Eve, Randy. I think that's what we've come up with, yeah. Have a Thirsty Thursday. Thirsty Thursday, whatever you want to yeah, call it. Yeah, either one, whatever. You've got a balloon party with Tim McKernan coming up next year on 101 ESPN. For all of us, thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. Not. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. When it comes to sports, you can't beat live. Vivid Seats has tickets to all of your favorite teams at great prices. And all with a 100% buyer guarantee. 
Visit VividSeats.com or download the app and use 10 Sports for $10 off your first $100 purchase.